Hey folks, this is episode 113 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Brooks Middleton. Brooks is a rock climber and architect living in Washington State. Brooks set up a suite. His, he lives on an island in the Puget Sound where his house and his office are within viewing distance of his favorite mountain, Mount Erie where he loves to climb several of the crags, and he's been climbing them for years, in fact. Brooks, Brooks spent the first years, or the first couple of years, climbing Mount Erie with his friend and climbing partner, Dallas Clokey, a legendary climber of the area. And in the years since, Brooks has spent a lot of time maintaining and developing new sport climbing routes on Mount Erie, I think it's very interesting when someone spends a lot of their time in a place to where they have an intimate familiarity with each little nook and cranny, especially of like a mountain. But I've even had friends where we're hiking through the woods and they can recall watching that tree grow up over the, the number of years. <laughs> I really admire the way that Brooks has balanced his lifestyle of making enough money to take care of himself and his family, pursuing creative and intellectual endeavors, and also pursuing rock climbing. If you'd like to check out some of Brooks' architecture, uh, you can go to his website, brooksmiddletonarchitect.com. Not only is he a great and thoughtful climber and route setter, he's also a really good designer. Um, and you can check out the Mount Erie uh, rock climbing guidebook at rackup.com. I'll leave the links to all of that in the show notes on becominghumanpodcast.com. Um, without any further ado, here's Brooks Middleton. What's your favorite thing for breakfast when you're in the backcountry or rock climbing? <laughs> uh, so, my diet's pretty messed up. I can't eat uh, gluten or dairy. Ooh. So I don't think about food too much, which <laughs> <laughs> upsets the people I'm with because <laughs> they do. So yeah, I survive on cliff bars pretty much. <laughs> so favorite, favorite, my favorite thing I can't eat. So I really, I don't think mm. about it. <laughs> I just try to bring enough food to survive. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about when you're at home? What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Oh, uh, well, again, favorite and what I can eat is what totally you, yeah. different. What do I do? Eat? I, what do I actually, eat? I, eat, uh, some kind of like dry cereal with mm -hmm. lac lactose free milk. Oh, why That's not pretty, almond milk? Pretty boring. <laughs> yeah my wife has had we've had to totally adjust what what we eat because of mm -hmm. my diet restrictions which i didn't figure out for about until about um six years ago that was a big deal it seems like you you enjoy eating food like you you think about it right you're not very no i don't i try not to think about no. it no, it's, it's really horrible because there's all I'm this sorry. good food out there that i can't yeah, eat so that's what i'm know, noticing it's, it's the opposite yeah have, I, I don't i don't think about food at all have you but have you had to teach yourself that or is that just natural to you um i i've always thought of food as fuel 
Ooh. So I, didn't, I never got excited. I, I'm not a big like foodie at mm-hmm. all. It's like I, I am respectful of of that like art. <laughs> but uh, I tell people if it takes longer to make it than it does to eat it, I'm not really interested. Mm. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty limiting. Yeah. I, I mean, I like I love good food, but it's not like high on the priority of um, living a good life or something. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like I, it's just like fuel for me to go. Yeah. There's a book, Moyamoti Musashi's book, the book of five rings. He's like a samurai in Japan and like feudal Japan. And, um, in his book, he talks about like, don't ever like cover, covet the pleasures of food and just the trouble it can get you into. Right. Is like, I found myself that way where I've had obsessions with, you know, goldfish, a variety of things. And it's like, Oh look, this is obviously hurting me. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's awesome. Let's keep doing it. And it's like those overlaid, like destructive behaviors. And I'm like, okay, I have to dial it back. So much. So nowadays my son's like, you just don't eat cake because you don't like it. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> no, I like it. Sugar tastes good to everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> I remember uh, swimming with my friends at the Fidalgo pool and you just kill yourself. So it was like a free for all on open swim when I was there as a little kid. This back in like the early 80s. They had a basketball hoop on the side of the pool. And uh, I don't even know if there are any lifeguards in there, but it's just totally crazy. People trying to drown each other and stuff, playing basketball oh, in the pool. Gosh. It was just a huge, intense workout, right? And so my friend and I would just be dying of starvation when we get out of the pool this that night. So we'd go to Safeway, we'd get a package of Oreos and we'd eat the whole thing before we got home. The baby it was like, <laughs> 10 minutes, all of like packed jars was gone. Oh my so, God. Yeah, I, I had plenty of that when I was young. I, was yeah. like, I probably had enough Oreos to last me my whole life anyway. So <laughs> did you, did your kids go through a similar experience? Like, do you think it's like just a moment in your life? Cause I had wrestled with that with my son. I'm like, that food's terrible for you. But at the same time, like I got to let him go through. So that. when my kids were young, I hadn't figured out the and probably wasn't suffering too much from the gluten and mm-hmm. the dairy. Um, so we had a, Growing up, when the kids grew up, there was a much more varied food. And my wife, Kelly's, you know, she always cared about what we were eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids were pretty good. I, you know, I convinced them early on that spinach was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you should so, write that down. How did you do this? <laughs> I don't know. Was, <clears throat> I just ate a lot of spinach and, the, and broccoli and stuff, you know, so they, they've always eaten well. And they, from an early age, they always, they, they understood that, that f- my food is fuel mm-hmm. idea thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they knew that, um, what they made, made, uh, uh impact on what they're doing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I talked to my son about that and he will, with plenty of, um, satire, <laughs> yeah. make fun of me, yeah. but then he'll go to school and he'll like make certain, cho- like outside of yeah, yeah. my, around yeah, me, he'll make like all these choices where he's like, oh, I just want water. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I try to be <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. create an environment where I support that. And like, exactly. Well, lead by example. Yeah. I mean, and if people want to give him cake, they give him candy. That's his sure. choice to make. Yeah, as yeah. long as they're not creepy and trying to take them. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> Kicking a puppy. Yeah, no, exactly. They, um, the uh, lead by example thing is huge. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, I see myself more as a leader than an authoritarian figure, right. unless it comes to safety, which I guess, yeah. Um, and what's something that you look forward to the most every uh, year or quarter? Like, do you have a um, a goal or an activity that you set aside? That- yeah, so... 
Uh, the last few years, a f- friend of mine and I have been going on a warm weather climbing area trip <laughs> in the fall or spring. And so we've been alternating between Red Rocks and Joshua Tree for a few years. And that's really something that oh, I look nice. forward to. It's um, it's really easy to get there. It's really mm-hmm. easy to be there. It's really easy to climb there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so accessible. Um, it, and we've done it enough that we stay at the same crappy hotel in Joshua Tree <laughs> for like 30 bucks a night. And um, we usually stay in casinos in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's rad. Well, dumpy ones. Yeah. <laughs> Is that making more adventurous? It, well, no, it's dirt. It's the dirtbag way. Yeah, yeah so, I like that. So, yeah, I, I started early enough in climbing that um, dirt bagging was like, it's not that it was like a cool thing to do. It's like, that's how you climbed. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's normal. It's like, well, could you explain like the dirt bag culture? Yeah. So, um, one example is well, back to food. Um, so the, the Yosemite camp four, <laughs> there's all these guys living there and gals, um, on the total cheap, you know, and like fighting with the, um, uh, Yosemite, um, park people and like trying to camp for free and hiding from the rangers and all this stuff. And, um, part of it, part of that, uh, how to live in Yosemite in no money was how to get food. And those guys would, um, go into the, uh, lodge and it's kind of a cafeteria style and people would tourists would get food and then they'd leave half the food on the tray and put it in the, um, line to dump and the, mm-hmm. the climbers would st- shuffle through and grab the food off the trays. And, <laughs> and then there's a, the Fred Becky story of, um, I think this was told to me by, uh, one of my climbing mentor kind of guys, um, who climbed with Fred a couple of times. And, uh, Fred would go into McDonald's on the way to climb and grab the free ketchup packets. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, make tomato soup uh, <laughs> out of those oh my gosh. <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So Fred, Fred was clever. Fred, I never climbed with Fred, but I knew people who did and I knew of them, of course. And uh, Fred had a lot of climbing partners who were one-time partners. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, the, the warm weather trips, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, it gets gray. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you can go get some sunshine and climb and be with your friends, um, oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. And how do you view that as like a, almost a vacation in some fashion, like a way to get away from your average environment? Um, it's a way to get away from the weather. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you love climbing, that's a, that's a good weather activity. And so if you're going to go for months without, <laughs> without mm-hmm. climbing and, and, um, that's tough. Yeah. If, if, you, if that's something you love. So why are you in the Pacific Northwest then? Like, does that, does that ever challenge, um, so, your choice to live here? Um, I grew up here and when I got married, we, my wife and I looked around for other places to live. We, um, toured around California and we'd take trips, you know, and, um, Colorado, um, she's from the East coast. Oh. And so we spent time like, actually trying to find a better place to live <laughs> and it never happened. We couldn't find a better place to live. I mean, it's just absolutely spectacular here. The mountains, the, the water, the, the islands, mm. pretty much anything. And if, and if you really get tired of it, you just go over the pass and you're in the desert. Mm-hmm. So what's that two and a half hours or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can't, 
you can't beat this. I mean, I, there's no way I would live in Las Vegas or Palm Springs year round. That'd just be nuts. Yeah. Um, but, but, but a little bit of it is really nice. Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely look forward to it for, you know, a week of in a year or whatever. Explore and go and be in the world. Right. It's I'm coming to terms with that. I'm naive in the sense that I've been here for like four years and I've yet to go out and explore a lot. But, um, as I do, I feel like this is going to be the place that I return to. However, I want to see the world, but like here, it just has all of the things that are very engaging to me. And you're, you're right. You have like access. You can even go to dunes and then you can get like the high <laughs> desert prairie yeah. and glacial glaciated yeah. peaks yeah. and volcanoes, Vol- volcanoes like and, ocean yeah. lakes and it's big, so big cool. rock peaks, beautiful granite mm-hmm. um, and cragging all a lot, a lot of cragging close and accessible. And yeah. like if you're down for what, like a 15 hour drive, right? At max, no, I'd say twenty-hour drive at max, right? You can have trips of your lifetime exploring all these different kinds of like geological features in the West. Like even going out to like Utah, it's probably more than twenty. It's not that far though. It's not like multiple. It's not thousands Absolutely. of miles. Well, right? the, the plane thing is cool. You yeah, know, exactly. You, you drive to Bellingham. That's what thirty-five minutes, mm-hmm. and then you hop on a plane. Two hours, you're in Palm Springs. Yeah. Oh. It's like, wait a minute, is this real? Is it really two hours? Yeah, I think it's just, it's one movie. Wow, that's <laughs> wild. Yeah. That's and it just land, you know, and, and then you get in your rental car and then uh, 40 minutes, you're, you're actually climbing in Joshua Tree. So you can, on the, on the travel days, go into Joshua Tree, you can climb a half a day in and out. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When you're preparing for, um, for one of these trips, are you thinking about it in terms of like progress as a climber or is it relaxed and you're just going there to enjoy yourself? So for, like, for years I was that? relaxed and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, just lately I've, I've actually, um, tinkered around with climbing more difficult routes than <laughs> I ever had, um, for, you know, 30 years or whatever I've been climbing. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to me to think about, other, uh, my own crags or other crags mm-hmm. and, and because, because I can climb a, a little more, uh, higher difficulty, um, that opens up new climbs from whatever I've been able to do before, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, when I first started climbing, my climbing partner and I'd always talk about, well, if we could climb five eleven, we could climb all these routes too. It's like, <laughs> we're stuck on the five sevens. There's only six of them here. Then what are we going to do? Um, cause it was real, uh, it was bold climbing back then. And, and, mm-hmm. um, well, it, it wasn't accessible. You had, you had to be really good five, seven climber because there's no anchors, there's no bolts and it's all you. Right. So, Whoa, really? Oh yeah. There's a, um, how far of a run out for at, you know, at it's oh, just been what, what route you're on and what <laughs> gear you own. So if, if you, uh, start out rock climbing and you've got like five or six nuts, cause that's all you can afford. Yeah. Um, and you're doing a climb that you can't set nuts. Oh, wow. Uh, that's like no pro. Um, <laughs> now, you, now you go over to Mazam and it's like, Oh really? Look at this really nice fist crack. Mm-hmm. It's all bolted. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like, yeah. Everything is so accessible and so safe. It's like, this is a total different world. Ah, that's wild. Yeah. Wow. And how do you feel about the, the level of safety? Like, um, do you, do you welcome it with open arms or? Yeah. So, is- so I started climbing in the late eighties mm-hmm. and, um, right about that time is, is the bolting wars. Um, so the, the, um, old, old 
school climbers, mm-hmm. um, no fixed protection. Um, it, it's all about the adventure. Mm-hmm. And then people started getting better than what routes were out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at faces that were blank saying, you know what, we can, we can climb those, mm-hmm. but we can't protect them. It's totally impossible to protect. So we'll put bolts in what, you know, which they used to do in the Alpine every, you know, six pitches or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but so they started bolting them. I'm thinking the Smith rocks, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so up go the bolts. And then all of a sudden climbing levels go up, up, up because it, you can try it without dying. Right. Ah, yeah. So it's like, Whoa, this is a whole different sport, but it was at the same time that all these people that were the adventure, you know, the, the hardcore old school, mm-hmm. um, they see a bolt. It's like, well, there's a boy up there, another hundred feet. You don't need a bolt. And so they'd come and chop it. It's like, mm. you suck. You're not, you're not going to ruin the rock by putting bolt ups, bolts up oh, on, wow. on this rock or whatever. And, um, yeah, it was a huge deal in the magazines. Um, so, so-and-so put, put up a route. So-and-so came along and chopped all the bolts. You know, it was, it was for years. It was just fight after fight. And I'm thinking my, my deal was I didn't want to die doing the sport. I love the sport. I didn't want to die. So I like the idea of bolts. (laughs) So it it just opens up so much more because you, you can climb at your (laughs) max level. Um, but it opens up the sport to, to the masses really. And that's really the cool thing. I think that changed with the, it wasn't just the totally crazy guys out there that didn't care if they died or not, mm-hmm. or didn't want the adventure where they almost die every time they go out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is how I started climbing. Oh and God. so, so the, when, when the bolt started happening, um, that was cool. And, and now, you know, seeing like Mazama, for instance, is like, mm-hmm. it's like climbing Mecca over there. It's like people go over there, they won't leave. You yeah. know, it's so great. Cause, um, the folks over there bolting have done it's so safe. I love it there. It's like these bolts are really fat and they're really close together. And I feel a, I feel really good about falling on these as much as I want. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a quarter inch bolt 30 feet apart where you're like, <laughs> I'm not even spending the time clipping this. Cause I'm going to die anyway. I see like, rusty yeah. button heads That's in right. Darrington. Like yeah, yeah. that just make me squeam. Yeah. Like, and it's already run out getting to that to that rusty button hand. Like if I were to fall, it would hurt. Yeah, It's totally different now. It's, it's so, it's so much. um, I I think indoor gyms have, have had a lot to do with that just Mm -hmm. recently, you know, in the last decade or so where people are used to climbing safely and um, um, climbing hard. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the bolts, that's just obvious things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you bolt, rock that is smoother and harder <laughs> and um and then you try really hard mm-hmm. and that's kind of the new ethic or whatever so you, i'm i'm totally happy with that do you lose something from like oh absolutely taking- you lose not dying mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yes. well I'm- no, the fear factor is is huge so when we start climbing it's like um you learn how to climb by reading the freedom of the hills mm-hmm. and then you uh around here it was a the fred becky guidebooks and um he doesn't tell you um, <laughs> where to set the blade. I mean, a little bit, you know, those sketchy. Oh yeah. That's how, and so you get up there and it's like, yo, Fred, you forgot something. Like, There's no pro from here to there. And uh, yeah. you said four hours and we've been up here for 10. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, you got us again. Fred is 
Fred's books are famous for fourth class. It's like five, seven for like <laughs> thousands of feet. He calls it fourth class for a couple hundred feet or something. It's like, you're freaked out and it's dark and it's raining. And yeah. So that, uh, just trying to find the route, you know, in a Fred, Fred Becky book, if you don't have all the other guidebooks, there's like, that's an adventure you're skipping to the right yeah, spot. I mean, we lots of times go up and it's like, yeah, I don't think we're at the right spot. And then you're stuck. And you, yeah. This, the adventure is definitely out of it, but, mm -hmm. um, um, it's opened up to way more people. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a fringe sport. It's a, it's a accessible sport. Is there at your limit? Do you feel that still though? Like, so there's been moments in climbing where I'm, I'm climbing a, you know, multi-pitch sport route, for instance. Um, and I get the sensation of, you know, fear. Right. And I, I get those elements that I'm not like in a safe scenario. Um, and I have to be able to talk myself into it and, well, and use all that self draw of rock climbing. Even all, if it's is, closely bolted. No. Is you are in a place that is unnatural for your safety and well-being. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the draw of climbing is all of a sudden, you know, you're, as soon as you're seven feet off the ground, mm -hmm. it's like, you got to pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're seven pitches off the ground, you got to really pay attention and you know, you're, it's a committing big deal. You're out there for a long time. You're on pitch seven and you get scared and you've got seven below you and five above you. Mm -hmm. You got to stay cool you know yeah. and, and uh, even if it is bolted every five feet um sure that takes you know 90 percent out of the venture out of it but mm -hmm. if it's, it's the first time you've been up there out you don't know what's up in front of you mm -hmm. um if the weather's coming in you don't know how long it's going to take you is it going to rain i mean there's all kinds of things just because there's bolts doesn't mean you're not going to die I'm thinking, people die all the time on prime rib oh yeah <laughs> so, that's what i'm thinking about right now yeah. is like running down um liberty bell becky route just taking people on their first experience yeah. up there and it's like oh rain those are dark clouds oh yeah they're rolling in like you and, can get freaked out on the becky route on Liberty Bell just getting to the base of the route it's like <laughs> rock fall from all the people above you and nine out of ten of the people <laughs> picking up there that's the crux for them <laughs> yeah the, I get excited so though and people, I sandbag it yeah. <laughs> I'm so bad I'm like this is the best part <laughs> how many times you've been up there with somebody and it's like I am never coming back here in my life yeah every time <laughs> every time I yeah. just forget it or I'm masochistic that's I don't right. know yeah no you forget it because what what you remember is the parts that are actually exciting and that's the rock climbing part and then yeah. the, the rest of it, once you've done the rock climb, the, the access and that kind of fades away. Mm -hmm. You just remember the like heightened senses part of the whole outing. And, and I think that's integral to my personal development because that, I think that's really helped me do a lot of things that perhaps at least net for right now seem impossible or like very uncomfortable. It's like whatever it takes because it's worth it in hindsight. Well, that's one of the draws to sport climbing is that you can be in that mindset so fast it's like you don't have to do a three-hour approach a mm -hmm. two-hour fourth class scramble up mm -hmm. a bunch of tailless just to get on a climb and by that time your mind's so shot you get on five seven and you're like shaking like a leaf anyway <laughs> you can drive up to mount area or Mazam or something and hop on a five whatever is at your limit or right above your limit mm -hmm. and in four minutes being that like totally focused am i gonna die am i gonna slip off can i do this move um kind of mindset it's mm -hmm. so accessible it's like it's super cool yeah it really you is know? cool but yeah it's it is different than being on the seventh pitch of something that you know it's your time committed at that point for sure mm -hmm. 
you I've had this experience in Leavenworth with one of my friends who's climbed a lot of the areas. Like Kyle Elliott, he's um, looked at like wanting to climb more of the Bridge Creek Wall area. I guess I shouldn't just blow that up, but like because it's one of the last known like adventure climbing kind of in Leavenworth, mm-hmm. and you see that push to find that thing that's like not as well traveled, right, and not as clearly laid out. And well, I think part of that, and I think about this a lot is development. <clears throat> so climbing development, you know, a lot of it was done in the, before I started climbing sixties, seventies for sure. And then into the eighties, um, a lot of kind of sports stuff got developed and, you know, so the, the beautiful accessible walls mm-hmm. are all now bolted. Um, and so that, that just finding routes and, and doing development mm-hmm. is for me, a huge part of the draw of the adventure of the whole thing. Mm. But once those are developed, what's the next generation supposed to do, you know? So mm. they, they push farther up the valley or however you want to say <laughs> yeah. it, to, to find stuff to climb or farther you know, around the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At some point, you know, every wall that is vertical or near is going to have bolts all over <laughs> it. And there isn't going to be a, a first time adventure that you, that, you know, people can have is that a draw to you is to have like for first ascent or rather to create your own line to climb something that has been climbed oh absolutely <laughs> oh it's the coolest thing in the world it's like and and you know i think for people that develop that's um it's a huge draw it's like you're looking you're standing at the bottom of a of a rock and you're looking up at it you're looking at a bunch of moss and lichen some ferns and uh water's dripping off it and your mind starts like looking at looking at it, the little nuances of of uh, what what the rock looks like, how steep it is, and then you decide to put the energy into it and you clean it off and and you start at the top and you work your way down with wire brushes or whatever and wow. and slowly slowly kind of it's almost like um, uh, archaeology or something. You're like clean this. No one's ever seen this before. Right. It's like scrape, scrape, scrape with a wire brush. And like, Oh my gosh, there's a little edge. Oh yeah, that's cool. I can get my finger on that. Wow. It's like, Oh, you go down a little farther and you find another one and you put your finger on that and it pops off. You're like, Oh crap. I don't think I can get between here and there now. And it's like, okay. And you keep going. It's like hours and hours and you're just covered with dirt and lichen and, and mud. And, <laughs> um, and you, and you get to the bottom and the, the whole thing's cleaned off and you look up at it. And it's like, that's cool. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you come back out on a different day when it's actually dry and throw your rope on it and um, rappel down it and start feeling things. And I mean, no one's ever done it before. Right. And so you don't know if it's five, eight or unclimbable. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I have a rope solo system so I can mm-hmm. just go out by myself and up and down, up and down and try things. And uh, that's a cool way it, to practice it, to do rope solo. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is weird is how often a rock has a consistent grade up its face. It's like, Mm -hmm. who figured that out? You know, (laughs) why is that a five eleven from the first move to the last move or whatever? It's like, that's super cool. Um, and it has something to do just with a kind of the orientation of the rock and the type of rock, you know, a certain degrees is probably going to be in the five eights and a little steeper, nines and tens. So how do you, how do you measure that for when you, when you set a route? Well, you don't like the grade. Yeah. The grade. Well, you don't know the grade until you climb it a bunch. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and even then 
Um, it gets a little tricky because you just climbed it a bunch. <laughs> so you're not on siding it, it at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so you come up with an idea and then you ask your friends to try it out and mm. come up with a grade. And even then it's, it's a little wishy-washy. Are there other things that, that you've encountered, um, outside of climbing that are so intuitive, like where the metric that you use is just based on mostly feel amongst the community? Um, so I don't do any like competitive sports or anything. So there's, mm-hmm. it's not like time or anything, you know, you can do it that with time yeah. of, of, a, of a, like running or something, but I, I don't do any of that. Um, so no, I think, I think the, the, so the grading thing on climbing is really secondary. It's really about finding things that are fun and interesting mm-hmm. to, to go up yeah, that makes or sense. even possible. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, they just happen to have a grade so that when someone wants to, Mm-hmm. find out you know to climb it the next time or whatever they want to know approximately how hard it is yeah so exactly. they can do it or they can't do it right? it's not the same as like trying to chug down your mile time as it is trying to climb up your grade like people attack well, there, the there is way, that but, but that's a little different than route development yeah route development is more you're trying to um um come up with uh well there's a lot to it uh mm-hmm. engineering aesthetics um effort Mm-hmm. Um, and just the availability, you know, are there walls around that are climbable or worth developing what, or routes even? What draws your eye to, to starting to s- set a route? Well, a lot of times there's, the, so Mount Erie has been mostly developed, right? So, mm-hmm. um, Dallas Cloakey was the man out there mm-hmm. um, and that's how I got started uh, working with him. You but, worked or... I don't have very much history on Dallas yeah. Cloakey. Um, you worked with him. You were going to with climb him. with him. Climbed with him. Really? Yeah. Is I'm going to come at it from a very naive perspective because I haven't done sure. very much research, and I think it's really interesting though. Is who is Dallas Cloakey, and why is he so prevalent in the climbing in, or community? Well, he is here because he lived here. Mm-hmm. So um, Dallas was like the most gung ho climber I've ever known. <laughs> both rock climbing and in the mountains. So he did, um, Mount Erie was kind of a practice area mm-hmm. for those early climbers. Um, so you'll find pitons and things <laughs> smashed into Mount Erie here and there in the weirdest places. Um, because they, they pra- practice for big mountains on Mount Erie. So techniques and rope work and setting gear and protection and all that. Um, but then he'd go up in the mountains and climb real stuff. Right? <laughs> so, um, I didn't meet him until he was probably maybe late sixties. Mm-hmm. I knew of him, um, mid sixties, maybe I guess. Um, and Dallas was so gung ho that it was kind of like the Fred Becky story. He had, had a little book with all the names in it of people mm-hmm. he could call to go climbing with because <laughs> he was basically retired and, um, climbed all the time. Oh, so wow. he'd just go through his book until they came up with somebody to go with and they'd go up in the mountains all the time. But he and I got to climb a lot on Mount Erie together. Mm-hmm. Um, because by that, by the time I got to know him, he was into, uh, sport climbing. Mm-hmm. So into bolt, putting bolts up on Mount Erie. Um, so he would, he'd, uh, be up there all day long. I'd be at work and he'd call me up and, Hey Brooks, I have a route for you. Wow. Hey Dallas, let's go check it out. And so, you know, he'd been up and down it a bunch of times, cleaning it and setting bolts and stuff. And he'd just make me tie in and try to lead it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's how I got a lot of first ascents out at Mount Erie was because Dallas set the bolts and then told me to lead it. 
That is such a cool so, experience. Yeah. That was, was super cool. Wow. But he had Dallas is totally crazy nuts kind of a guy. He <laughs> um anytime you go anywhere in the Cascades, um, and look at any direction, Dallas would tell you how many times he climbed that. It's like whatever face of whatever mountains, like multiple times. It's just unbelievable. Uh, we're up um, in the Marble Mount area and it's looking at um, Johannesburg. It's mm-hmm. just super intimidating, um, super steep snow climb in Dallas. And I mentioned that to him. He's like, yeah, I, I think I climbed that seven times now. <laughs> you oh my why gosh. would you climb up more than once yeah. uh, but everything's like that is that dallas he just loved going to the mountains he'd take you know take people up there and that that was his passion for sure and it totally rubbed off on me wow um, yeah so so i got to climb with him and up you know until he died mm-hmm. and yeah did he influence you in your route setting uh yeah we actually set a lot of routes t- together mm-hmm. um so i kind of learned the trade from him um we did some development up um south Skagit highway um which was kind of mm-hmm. maybe the like, most fun in my memory of times developing with him seven um, mile in iron mountain area oh, yeah, I well, love he, that he area. calls it was it coal mountain coal mountain yeah, yeah. so I haven't been up there in years, mm-hmm. but we, we put a bunch of routes in up there and, you know, you're up there, it was fall time. I remember, and the sun was out and the, all the huckleberry bushes down below were bright red. And there's a little pond down there and there's nothing around. You are out mm-hmm. there by yourself. And, um, you know, he knew that mountain like the back of his hand already. Wow. He's like, yeah, you go up over here. And then he had fixed ropes up here. So he gets to the top and rappel down and clean off and bolt and bolt. Oh my so, God. Oh yeah. It was just, it was super fun. We spent lots of good times up there and he, I remember driving up that dirt road off the highway. Every time there was like abandoned cars that burned out and stuff, you know, people partying, smashing things. And oh yeah, he logging just had roads. he just yeah, logging roads. All these like redneck redneck jokes that were so funny. <laughs> Always some comment about being upriver. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. But yeah, so um, he had a drill that he borrowed from a guy um, who put up routes, some hard routes on that area, really hard routes. Still, they're still really hard. Um, and so we, that drill was sold. It had, um, like jumper cables coming out of the drill to a battery you put in your backpack and you'd have to like duct tape the jumper cables onto the battery <laughs> wow. and, the, and the, um, the battery terminals are all like well burned off you know <laughs> no they're like burned from like you know the arcing of oh my sparks God. and stuff yeah so that was a super heavy drill and he had like at least two batteries for it and Dallas was crazy he would fill up his backpack with like two ropes the drill two batteries you know his lunch and all his personal stuff plus all his cleaning gear you're talking hammers wire brushes multiple wire brushes trowels um brush it, you know, uh, soft brushes, um, the drill bits, the bolts themselves, hammer to pound in the bolts, wrenches to turn the nuts. Um, I couldn't pick up his backpack. Oh he'd, my throw, gosh. he'd throw this thing on his back and, and just like run up the trail and I'd be like panting after him. <laughs> I have like what my shoes and a harness or something. And I couldn't keep up with the guy. And he's like, I don't know, 30 years older than me. Surprise. Oh, man. He was, well, he was a big runner too. So he's in oh, super man. good shape. He was running, um, um, steeplechase. Is that what they call it with all uh, the, um, not 
is that the right word? There's a whole bunch of obstacles and stuff. And then, oh, like you run through the water and you jump over hurdles. Was it like Spartan? Things. Uh, it wasn't Spartan yeah. racing, but it, it was, it cool. was a track thing because there were, it was a, you know, event that, that yeah, I don't remember what it's called, really but he was like one of the high end masters or something. And he was like, he'd always see the same three people. I was like, ah, he beat me this time. It's like, ah, oh, I got him that time. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a group of them, but yeah, he's, he's just in super when I was, so that was, you know, several years ago. And I remember, um, he was climbing the same difficulty I was, and he was like 30 years older than me. Whoa. That yeah, was just unbelievable. Not that I was super good, mm-hmm. but, but he was, or not that I am super good, but he was, he was just like just at the top of his game. To like, encounter how, that, just how like, did you do that? That's yeah. impressive. And to, to, to hear that from like when, when you encounter that, like that sounds like it must've just kind of blew your mind and like expanded what you thought, you know, was possible, possible for yeah. humans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> at that yeah. time, were you doing art? Were you doing architecture? Like where were you at with your career? So, yeah. So that was, so graduated from college, moved to LaConnor, moved back to LaConnor cause I grew up here mm-hmm. and with my wife got married. And, um, then I started climbing a little bit on Mount Erie again. Um, but then when I moved to Anacortes a couple of years later, several years later, um, then Dallas and I really hooked up because he was also Anacortes guy. Mm-hmm. And so I was available. Yeah. I was easy target. <laughs> <laughs> so getting to know him more, how did that affect you and like your priorities and your perspective on life and your values? Well, Dallas, it was fun to talk to Dallas because he talked about that a lot. Actually, um, he had new grandkids and he, and I had new kids. And so we talked a lot about how much should you be in the mountains compared to how much you should be raising your kids. And, uh, he, he'd ask me all the time, um, or a lot. We often talked about what, what, um, priorities and that kind of, you know, how do you balance it all? but he was out in the mountains way more than I ever was. I mean, he, um, yeah, he, he's he was obsessed, prolific. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just kind of dabbled in it compared to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, that, that divide is just a very fascinating one for me. Yeah. Cause you meet some people and you're like, Whoa. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a spectrum, right. All the way to the opposite yeah. end to where like they, their arm, you know, the armchair mountaineer. Yeah. Right. So, so I climbed a lot in college and then backed way off when the kids were young mm-hmm. and then did a little more as they got older. And then the, when my son was in high school, he started climbing also. So then we could do that together. Um, but I'd say since from when they were like middle school or so, I started climbing a lot again and especially with Dallas and, and thinking about putting routes up and helping Dallas. And throughout all yeah. of that, was that where you, when you backed off, was that in response to your feelings about climbing or in response to your feelings about other things in your environment? No, in my life, just the priorities were, you know, go to work, take care of the, be at home for the kids. So if I was home, I sh- you know, need to spend more time yeah. at home and not be gone. I mean, we'd go on adventures as a family, but that's, you can't rock climb with, yeah. you know, a three-year-old. See so. where I wrestle with that at times with the, like, you know, with running where I love running, but rock climbing, it overshadows things. Yes. I love it. And like, but it's just, when I go cragging, it is the way that my son will not voluntarily want to go outside and be in like the dirt. Right. And like play and just have that free play. Um, you know, he likes to backpack, but that's a, my thing. And he'll talk about enjoying it, but he won't ask. And like, um, 
it makes him uncomfortable. But then after the fact, he likes to do it, whether he climbs or whether he plays, you know, with his friends around the crag. Um, and if I were to run, I can go and have be in the out the wilderness, but someone is watching him, which I could figure that out if it's a priority. But the consequence is, is that like, well, what time am I spending with my son? What am I exposing him to? And like, how am I creating a community that he's a part of? And, you know, jujitsu helps with that in the mats, but that's inside with these outside activities. Climbing was like, okay, you know, he's seven years old and he can be out there safe and I can bring his friends and they can play or they can climb. And like, that's very much conducive to being just a dad for me right now. And so I have to balance those things, but I'm always on edge because I'm, you know, that uncertainty is real for some people. Or the desire to do the thing is real for oh, others, sure. right? I, th- I think like, being aware of that you even have that pull or the pulls in different directions is important mm-hmm. because then you, then that's something you can think about in a way. I know that, so our kids are um, 25 and 20, 24, 25 and 21 right now. <laughs> and um, I, so I got, you know, I've been around, you know, from little to older kids oh, yeah. with them. And, um, I think when they're little, their worlds are just smaller. Mm-hmm. And so playing in the backyard in the dirt is their big adventure. So going on a, you know, four day backpack trip is like beyond their ability to have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? But as they get older, um, you know, they can hike and carry their own pack and, and go for four days or whatever. And, um, um, enjoy it mm-hmm. you know it's like look forward to it that's an adventure because they they can like it's it's in their realm of ability to to comprehend or or whatever mm-hmm. and, and then just a little bit older than that so um middle school age definitely by high school mm-hmm. um you know they're getting some of those like um um adventure genes or whatever mm-hmm. kick in that's like i gotta be doing something that's pushing normal mm-hmm. and then it gets exciting so mm-hmm. like uh, all of a sudden they're climbing harder than you are. You know, yeah. it's like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened there? Because last year you didn't wow. want to go. And now this year you're, uh, Oh, you experienced that? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, my son called me the other day. He's like, Oh, I got another B7 at the gym. I'm like, that's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, or I'll wild. like, I'll like put up this hard project on that area and, uh, you know, work and work and work. It's like, I can't do a single move. I can do one. It's like Tommy Caldwell. Oh, now I can Mm -hmm. do one move. Oh, now I can link two moves together. Work, work, work. And now I can link Mm -hmm. three moves together. And my son comes home for some holiday and he's like, what have you been working on? I was like, Oh, I'll go show you. So we go out to my area and it's like, I'm like, try this one. (laughs) He climbs up and it's like, that's cool. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Then my, my daughter, um, never really had interest in climbing. I took her out a couple of times and, you know, I think it's about in college when like your brain clicks in or like climbing is like aligns with like who you are or, or whatever, just in your, um, development Mm -hmm. stage. So my daughter was never really into climbing and she's in Montana right now going to school. And so we went out to visit her and we drove up to Bozeman and they have a pretty decent climbing gym. And, um, so we're, my daughter's strong, but she doesn't climb. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's an EMT and does horses and all this stuff. Oh, so wow, that's cool. She, and works out hard. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Wow. Um, so we, we go to the climbing gym and more like, more because I wanted to, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, what else is there going to do in Montana or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, um, so 
we're climbing around and, and like two hours later, it's like, everyone's tired and ready to go. And, uh, she's working on 11 D <laughs> you don't even know how to climb. What are you doing that for? <laughs> so yeah, oh, it's, it's, awesome. it's pretty cool. That is so cool. It's, um, yeah, I want to, I guess, experience life with my son and opportune yeah. moments. Cause sometimes yeah. even when they're really little, you get those experiences that you're not oh, going to get when they're yeah, older. There's, there, it's all experiences. Mm-hmm. It's just that the climbing thing kind of usually kicks in a little later. I think yeah. I, you, you have to have some strength and you have to have kind of a ability to think a certain way to make it interesting mm-hmm. and not just be scared. So it's easy. Everyone can be scared at any yeah, time yeah. of their life, but to be able to control that and, and put it into perspective, it's like, am I actually in danger or, you know, to go mm-hmm. be able to go through all yeah. that in your mind, I yeah. think is usually it's, it's about college age where people really kind of, that all is like exciting and makes sense and they can mm-hmm. figure it out mentally that, it makes sense. Cause see, I find myself right around that age where it's like, I like seek that and oh, it's like very yeah, much yeah. at the forefront yeah. of my thinking. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the, what do humans have to do these days? It's mm-hmm. like, you don't, you don't have to like go kill a bear, right. Yeah. To eat anymore. So, but that's, and that's what we were talking about. You know, um, I might've been before the podcast, but like having these, um, simulated experience to be able to play out these old archaic archetypes. Right. That's probably right? in your, in your genes or whatever, right. The mm-hmm. need to, um, survive mm-hmm. and to conquer even maybe yeah. definitely to survive. First ascents, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> it was all first ascent. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's how we're wired. <laughs> I can't get territory. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. So, so the, um, climbing definitely hits right on yeah. those cords is it's perfect for that mm-hmm. in the gym a little bit, you know, you can kind of get an idea of it, but outside is it's, um, to me, it's just like, that's, that's exact what it, you're, it what like you're hitting clicks, on Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and I, it's funny cause I, I have this thing that I've realized it's a personal preference. Um, but I, cause I would look into gymnastics and I prefer mm-hmm. calisthenics. The whole point is, is that I don't like, um, I don't like activities. I even look at jujitsu very similar. I don't like activities where you can judge me based upon some abstract m- metrics I'd like to be able to like challenge myself against something that feels as real as I can and like has consequences that feel real. Not, I don't want to put myself in situations where, Oh, you're going to die mostly, but like I want to have that real experience. Just like when you're backpacking, if you're not, maybe I'm uh, I procrastinate, right? Um, maybe I'm forgetful and not very organized. So I don't create a list or I don't put together a good packing plan for my stuff. I pack well, that's how you minute. have an adventure when you go it's, hiking. Yeah. It's like you got, <laughs> you got to leave that stuff at home or it's just going to be hiking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's how my adventures came. Cause I did all those things and like, and I would have feelings and I thought it, it was a challenge that I'd have to overcome. And I'm like, okay, I'll plan a little more. And then when I plan more, it got easier. And then I pushed myself into more like, uh, technical terrain. So then I would still feel challenged in some way and it helped me not procrastinate as much and like, but it was fun. Well, it's like the thing where, where you go rock climbing and you only have three quick draws and five nuts, right. And yeah. no guidebook. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you get a job and you make money and you have a full rack of whatever you want. You have the down park up when it gets cold and mm. you got the stove to cook food when you want it. And then it's like, 
Yeah, it's really not that exciting anymore. <laughs> but rock climbing is a little different. It's like all of a sudden it's like you can be off the ground and in five minutes you can be in the mm-hmm. I'm going to die mind state. You're not actually going to die usually yeah. if you don't mess up. But um, but that mind state is such, I, I think people seek that. I, I think it's a natural thing to do. Like you said, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's what we did for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just in the last, you know, a few centuries or whatever that we don't have to do that anymore. So mm-hmm. if we don't uh, fulfill that need, um, maybe that that's not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, I've yeah. seen it in the, the children that I work with who are emotionally and behaviorally delayed and like um, where they have this, you know, the unifying struggle or, and they have, they're doing things that were, that makes them feel vulnerable right? That's not, um, abstract or it doesn't feel like it was artificially created, right? Where you're up and you have some, you're high up, right? Or you could even be like five feet. Yeah. And their consequences aren't artificial consequences. Like it's just, it's, you know, your environment. And with that, they learn so much and they help each other out. Um, cause like those consequences you can't twist. You have to be engaged. Yeah. And if you're engaged, then you're learning. Yeah. I taught a lot of children at that, or a few children at that school, um, how life skills by a pull-up bar. And the pull-up bar is literally only my like shoulder height. And they would stand up on top of it and sit on it and then spin back and I'd catch them. And like, they'd be these people who are like tough and like, you know, violent and like, Oh, I could kill you. I could hurt you. And then you get up there and they're like shaky and like, please, please help me. And it's just like, huh. and I, I have to put them in that situation. Well, absolutely. There's a facade that they built to survive. And then there's reality. Yeah. What, what, what is it really inside there? And those are, those are the kinds of, um, if you put yourself in those situations, that's when you learn, you know, who you are. That's when, when, when you grow, cause you've addressed, you, you, you've, obviously you, you didn't die. So, yeah, exactly. So, so you learned something and you, and you came away and you learned a little bit more about yourself. And, um, those, um, situations or the, are those places that you put yourself in don't occur very often anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not something that we all have to face. Mm-hmm. No, no, I mean, no one has to now. Uh-huh. Right. So, um, and, and there's, you know, people's, see that my climbing stuff on the floor when they come over or whatever. And they're like, Oh, you climb. And they're, they're just like, you know, shake their head. And it's like, that's too bad. You're going to die soon. You know, it's like, cause so, <laughs> so many people yeah. died climbing, but you can climb and get all those like, um, experiences of, of really putting yourself out there and still be pretty safe. It's I've done that on prime rib. It's yeah. very well bolted. Like you yeah. were saying, and, yeah. and that's, that's an experience that I've very much had yeah. and everyone that, you know, who's gone up uh, with me, it's a very similar experience that they've had and it's safe. I mean, as long as you follow proper technique and procedure, right? Yeah. People die everywhere and you know, you can lump climbing deaths into a, uh, those guys are crazy or whatever. Yeah. But what do you lump the, I died walking across the street in with us. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's all going to happen. It's the, the, the whole point. One of the big points of climbing is, can you put yourself in a very precarious situation and do it safely? Mm. It's like, well, that's pretty cool. It's like, and you get that a, a lot when, so we do a lot of cleanings just on existing mm-hmm. routes on that area. And so you're up there on a you know hundred meter uh, rope thrown off the top and you got your wire brushes and you're just like, scrubbing away, scrubbing away. And, um, 
you stop and you look around, you look down between your legs and the ropes dangling down there and hitting the ground, you know, like a hundred feet below you or 200 feet below you. And you've been up like just kind of chilling on the side of this mountain. It's like, not very many people do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. but it's the coolest thing. It's like, I'm sure window washers, you know, in the city are like, look at me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. This is cool. <laughs> and, um, they're totally safe, you know, they're mm-hmm. harness and safety stuff. And, yeah. um, but you're in a very, uh, you're in a position where your mind is telling you, you shouldn't be right. Mm-hmm. So, so you're constantly in the, um, fight or flight kind of the fight or flight, but definitely the battle of keep your nerves under control Mm -hmm. and stay cool. And, um, um, yeah, that's, uh, I think one of the biggest things that my climbing has evolved is, um, is the ability to, to stay cool in those, what feels like a dangerous situation because, you know, in college we would go climbing and every time we would be in an actual dangerous situation (laughs) and, and, and it was like high adrenaline and sweat and fear. And, uh, you know, we'd get back and we'd, we'd live through it and we'd drive home and it's like it quiet. Cause we're like, mm-hmm. just like getting over the PTSD mm-hmm. of like almost dying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm going to sell my climbing gear. Yeah. And, and seriously, we felt like that, you know, many, 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 many times. Wow. And now I go out and it's like, well, actually there was a, um, a fellow that I worked for in construction when I was at the university of Washington. Mm-hmm turns out just by chance he was a really good climber in the day right he wow. put up he put up a route on el cap and he climbed all over the world wow it's like seriously because he didn't do any of it when i met him mm-hmm. um and so he found out that my roommate and i climbed so he kind of got excited about it again he must have been um maybe early 50s or something when we were working for oh, him wow. and so he hadn't climbed in years and years and years so um we organized this trip to Leavenworth from mm-hmm. Seattle. And so, um, my roommate and I, and he, and I think one other guy, we picked up an index or something, some old climbing bum of his <laughs> friend. And we drove over to Leavenworth and, um, you know, we're strong. We're climbing up the UW rock, mm-hmm. um, the outdoor one. The oh, old that's one, fun. Concrete. I went one. there for the first time a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, we go over to Leavenworth with this guy who hasn't climbed and, you know, I don't know how long he hasn't climbed 20 years or something. Whoa. And, uh, he has an old school harness, you know, <laughs> it's like Whoa. these goofy rock shoes. And, um, and we climbed something that wasn't normal. It was like some obscure weird thing. And, um, maybe even we made it up as we went or something <laughs> probably cause it was early days. And, um, I remember watching this guy climb and, like I said, he hadn't climbed in many years mm-hmm. and he was compared to me mm-hmm. old <laughs> and, and, and I watched him go up the rock and it's like, just his very tiptoes were touching the rock and it's like very fingertips. And he didn't look like he was exerting. It didn't look like gravity affected him. Whoa. It was the most, it was the oddest thing <laughs> I've ever seen in climbing it wasn't that he was super good or, uh-huh. and he wasn't strong and he wasn't, um, in climbing shape at all, mm-hmm. but his technique was unbelievable. Wow. He did not appear to be attached to the rock in any way. It, it was just, I, I, That's it's, it's hard to describe because <laughs> it, it didn't even look natural. 
I, I just remember, and, and he had no fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what, you know, manifested through his body position was mm-hmm. that his body is not afraid of his situation. Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> but that didn't work for me yeah, for, no. for, you know, decades or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid I'm going to hold on really tight. And- it's, it's a trip how much you, your emotions influence the subtle um, Absolutely. body cues. And you don't Absolutely. realize it until you're doing something where like all of that becomes very apparent and yeah. has consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Sweat. Uh, shaking <laughs> All, you know those are body responses right mm-hmm. to anxiety yeah. or fear yeah obviously um, so yeah being in a in a situation or in a stance that's really um unnatural and and, mm-hmm. and is taking a lot of energy when um if you just moved a little bit meaning you had better technique it's mm-hmm. like all of a sudden that you t- it takes no energy mm-hmm. and i was always in the um flex a lot and grunt you know and <laughs> and um uh, um, and be scared. And mm-hmm. I climbed like that for years and, um, it was still exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, a lot of times we get home and want to sell all the gear, <laughs> which wasn't very much in those days, did, but we we're just done with it. Yeah. So did you feel like that, that guy, seeing that guy, he perhaps would have experiences that like he didn't have to go through all of that, that emotional pain. So, um, I only climbed with him that maybe, maybe one other time. So I, he was never like, a, um, this is how you do it mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Um, which is too bad because looking, you know, listening to other podcasts and things, people are talking about mentors all the time. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I never had a mentor, <laughs> 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 but if I did, I'd be climbing totally different. So I don't think I had a mentor until um, just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I had this little rock climbing gym in Anacortes, just a bouldering gym, no ropes or anything. It's oh, super really? basic. And um, just tried to make something that the community would, like send their kids to and have a good time, right. Mm-hmm. For, for, um, not, not be expensive and be super accessible to everybody. And oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fun to have. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive for me. I really, so you, you started it all your own self. Oh yeah. How long did built you it? What built oh, it? Yeah. Did you build a building as well? No. Wow. So leased a building and then, um, designed and built this indoor climbing gym. And is it hard to be able to keep the, keep it, from going under or like, are they profitable endeavors? Wow. Not, not in intercourse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, you, you need a decent, you know, population, uh, size and, um, like age, mm-hmm. age group or whatever. So intercourse is mostly retired people yeah. and, and, um, there's not very many people there, mm-hmm. uh, but I built a gym really inexpensive and, mm-hmm. and, um, just wanted it to break even really. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't quite do that. I think I had it for a couple of years, but I did get to meet some people that I would never would have met otherwise. And one of this, uh, the guys that came in and ended up working there for a little bit, um, was a really strong climber. Oh, really? In fact, there were several people that were really strong climbers, but this one guy and I got along really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we climbed outside also. And he, he, even though he's way younger, I think he's in his twenties. Mm-hmm. He was like my climbing mentor. And it's not until just a few years ago that it's like all of a sudden, like this, this whole new idea of, of really being technique focused kind mm-hmm. of opened up to me. And it's, oh, wow. I mean, this, this guy trained really hard. He's super strong. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I'm just kind of naturally strong. And so I didn't have to train super hard to be, you know, 
have the strength to mm, climb hard, mm-hmm. but I did not have the technique. Mm. And um, it, which was super frustrating to me because I really love rock climbing and I did it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's like five ten C, yeah, that's about my limit. Yeah. You know? And and this guy's like, oh, you can climb way harder than that. And um, oh. so we, you know, boulder around in my gym and make up really hard stuff and 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 uh then we'd go out and like he'd bring me to equinox mm-hmm. and uh you know like starts at like five hard 11 or something you know oh, it's yeah. mostly 12s and 13s Ooh. and uh so he'd work on stuff and get the rope up and mm-hmm. then it's like all right you're up brooks and um like i can't climb that he's like yeah you can and so he'd just like we'd talk about stuff and it's like you got to keep breathing and you, you know like turn your hips and turn your toe the other way and pull with your toe and and uh, you know, pull sideways with this hand and all this, like, I should have been doing this, you know, 20 years yeah. ago, you know? Wow. And so, so I was like, oh, I just climbed up 512 and I can't climb 511. So how'd that happen? <laughs> and so it's like, all of a sudden it's like, whoa. And then my brain starts going back to when I first started climbing and my, my climbing partner and I were like, if we could just climb 511, there'd be so much more to do. <laughs> it's like, this is so exciting. Wow. And then I think the other, the other really big thing that that opened the whole hard climbing idea up for me was um rope soloing what's rope soloing so rope soloing is you set a rope from the top and so then you start back down the bottom you rappel down mm-hmm. but the rope is on the climb entirely mm-hmm. so you have uh, hooked to your harness um some method of of uh, catching yourself. Mm-hmm. So as you climb up, most of most techniques, there's a, um, some, something with jaws, like an ascender or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's different versions of these and you, it goes up, but it doesn't go back down. Mm-hmm. So you, you can climb without a belayer and you can just work on stuff all day long if mm-hmm. you want on one route. And, um, it, it, it allowed, me to not have to worry about someone else's time or um commitment or, yeah. or even finding somebody to climb with mm-hmm. um the downside is i climb a lot by myself now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the the upside is that i can work on stuff that i would never have worked on before mm-hmm. and um so the whole the whole um um the, which is what really good climbers do working a route. The idea of working a route was totally foreign to me. It's mm-hmm. like you can climb it or you can't go on to the next one. I think that had to do with the old school, you know, learning from learning how to climb the old school. It's like leader never falls. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, if you go up, you better be able to climb that. Oh, really? So yeah. when you're climbing that you're expecting it not to fall, you, you're confident. Old, old in your school ability. was the gear sucked. There's no bolts. And you might not have very much gear and you don't know where you are and you don't know what the route is. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you don't fall. That's like rule number one in freedom of the Hills leader never falls. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they instilled that in us in, in, in the climbing class I took in the late eighties. Um, so you're, you're, you're always climbing well below your limit, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not going to fall, you, you got to climb like two grades below what you could actually climb. And so how do you get better than that? You know, how do you get better if you can't fall? So that was the whole sport route revolution, you know, and occurred when I was first starting to climb. And this is pretty exciting. It was pretty disruptive at first because there are all these wars going on between Hmm. bolting and chopping and trad. And if you can, if anyone in the world could climb it without the bolt, you can't put the bolt in. Hmm. That was the rule. 
It's like, well, wow. that really limits us. To yeah, that do really that. does. Jeez. Yeah, because you can climb some really dangerous, like Darrington's filled with like yeah. run out bolt. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, these are, you know, it's like if you can climb it without a bolt, if anybody can climb it without a bolt, you shouldn't bolt it. That's so, so, the, so think of that. So all these routes are being uh, developed in the, you know, before that the bolting revolution or whatever. So you go to Joshua tree to go rock climbing. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, this is going to be fun. I heard about Joshua tree. It's going to be great. And you go down there. It's like, you look at the routes, like there's two bolts, right? Oh. Cause, Cause Joshua tree was developed a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So the routes were set by these guys that were really good and gals, by these climbers that were really good and mm-hmm. they're really hard and they're really poorly protected. And so you go down there thinking you're going to have fun. And it's like, well, I'm going to start on 5.7. You look up and it's got one bolt. Some of them have no bolts and really crappy gear. Um, you know, there's a lot of cracks down there too, but a lot of the routes are face climbs with no pro. Wow. And it's a route. So I think we're in a, in an era where we're going to have to say it's okay to go back mm-hmm. and retro bolt these existing routes that were put up when the ethics were, If anybody can climb it without a (laughs) bolt, you don't put a bolt in, right? Because so, so that's what I love about Mazama Mm -hmm. is that it was developed after that ethic Mm -hmm. was, was uh, accepted that bolting is okay. So all the, all the routes over there are, are super safe, Mm -hmm. super well protected, accessible to anybody who wants to try them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's sad for me to see these beautiful lines down like in Joshua tree and red rocks that are horribly protected mm-hmm. and we can't do anything about it because that's how they were put up. Oh wow! So there's the ethic of you can't, you know, go back and adjust what the first ascent It has to be the experience of the first ascent. I think that's changing a little bit. Is it? Um, especially um, as the, the first ascensionists die off. Mm-hmm. So I think it was kind of a response. A respectful thing where you don't change a route that somebody already put up. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, I've I've heard a little bit out there now of of um, you know, if it's unsafe, you know, if the climbing community of that area thinks that it's okay to to add more bolts to a route to to make it safer. So I th- I, th- I think it's moving towards maybe we can go back on some of these really cool routes and mm-hmm. make them safe. All that right, that cool. would be really cool because there's so much done out there that isn't safe yeah yeah, oh yeah (laughs) that would be really that's not really accessible to most people you know so it's like i really want to try that 511 but if i do i will die Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah (laughs) yosemite same thing really yeah there's um there's a lot of routes down there that you know were put up by these really good climbers Mm -hmm. um that spent their you know four or five, six years of their life in the Valley, um, got really good. You know, you get super fine tuned into the nuances of the granite of that location. You know, oh, it's wow. like, well, I'm just coming down for the weekend. I yeah, want to climb something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens, but, um, there are areas being developed. Like I said, that like Mazama and Erie now mm-hmm. too, that, um, very accessible people really, you know, you put up a route and, um, it's super fun to see, um, groups of people, you know, queued up below the route you set a couple of years ago and, yeah. and they're um, going up and down and having a good time. And you just walk by and it's like, yeah, I put that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's super fun. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And there's, d- does land management like um, national park and national forest, does that play into the limitations on the kind of protection that can be placed? Yeah, each, each um, entity has its own rules and then even um, um, besides like actually written rules, there's like community of climbers in the area kind of have a, you know, they always recommend that you kind of touch base with the locals before you go do something, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a nice idea that I looked into bolting and Joshua tree. Cause like one of my dreams is like to buy 10,000 bolts and mm-hmm. put under Joshua tree and just put rounds <laughs> up, or somewhere, you know, or clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not even, not, not to mess up routes that no. are already there, but just a, it's a, it's nice rock, you know, just to go oh. put routes up in some like spectacular place like that. Oh, or something that'd be so like cool. That would be so cool. Um, so I looked into, um, national park and you can bolt in joshua tree mm-hmm. you can bolt in yosemite there's like guidelines that we know all know how those go yeah exactly it's <laughs> like <laughs> so fill out this report uh is there parking nearby <laughs> is there other routes nearby can you share anchor is there a trail to it or you could just go put up yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> i've never done that but um i have put up route in Mazam and I have another one cleaned off. I'm just starting to work over there. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, that'd be cool. And what about setting routes? Is What do you love about it so much? Is it just well, that, the, like what you described the finding? Yeah, so, so the finding, it's a big adventure, right? Mm-hmm. So it's something no one's done before. It's like, um, it's like a first ascent up a peak, except it's just a first ascent up mm-hmm. part of a, not even a peak, you know, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. still a first. And, um, you get to discover it. It's mm-hmm. something that is new to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so there's a lot of engineering behind it besides a lot of grunt work, getting mm-hmm. it cleaned off, but the engineering of how do you move on that route? And so how do you set bolts to clip nicely and how do you set the anchor? So your rope doesn't drag and how do you make a safe place at the bottom? And there's a lot to it that, um, how do you usually figure out the, does it come, the movements come first? Like, are you on like a top? Oh, rope absolutely. So you're on, ropes you're on a rappel to clean it mm-hmm. and it can take, you know, several days to clean one route on Mount Erie. Wow. Not, not like nine to five, but mm-hmm. like I'm out yeah. there um, for several hours on several days just to clean off one route. Um, and that's just because all the nice clean faces are, already bolted (laughs) so again you're looking for um things in not obvious places which is kind of the fun of it too so Mm -hmm. we put a lot of routes up on faces that were already developed Mm -hmm. like um powerline wall you know in the last five years uh, almost doubled the routes on powerline Mm -hmm. wall and they're super accessible and it's good yeah it faces the sun and people love them and they're well bolted yeah um lookout wall there's a bunch of route new routes on lookout wall and um yeah so it's fun to it's fun to find things that got passed over before and mm-hmm. figure them out and then bolt them and then people are like whoa <laughs> there is a route here yeah. you know that, that's the the most fun i think is <laughs> is the sneak approach to yeah. route finding <laughs> it's like why wasn't this bolted before it's really and some of it you know i'd climbed before too but couldn't make it up it's like oh it's too hard uh-huh. and then um but now now that, um, you know, I can, this top rope solo thing, it's like, you can just spend days and figure <laughs> it out. And, and if it goes, it's like, this is cool wow. when you finally get it, you know, and then you put 
put the bolts and then your son comes over and flies up and it's like, what else do you got? It's like, well, it's not as cool as I thought it was. <laughs> you got to find more puzzles to put together. <laughs> yeah. No, that's super fun. Uh, you know, you name it and then your name's on there and it's like, that goes forever. Oh, that's so, right. I need to share cool. it with people. The sharing thing is why you do it. I mean, obviously if it wasn't for that, you just top rope solo and just go on to the next thing. You wouldn't, you know, put the bolts in, but, um, mm. um, How much? yeah, ha having, having it figured out, cl found, cleaned, figured out, bolted, and then, um, published basically mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of the sequence of it. And once that's done, um, it's kind of like, um, making it and see if they'll come, you know, kind of thing. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see who tries this one. It's like, that's why I love oh, being out there when it's busy mm -hmm. and uh, seeing what people like, you know, it's like this route gets a lot of traffic. Um, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And you can see what people think of like, it's funny to get feedback too. I was like, one time I was out there and, and the really cool thing now is the women climbing the amount oh, of women. Yeah. It's like, where were all these people? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch. Like, dude, oh, there's tons. Awesome. There's always tons of women out there. Um, and the fun thing about women is they're always having fun. Mm -hmm. It's not about how hard can you climb? What's, you know, competition or anything. It's just how they're having fun. They're, they're really good at that. Um, so there were, there are these, um, couple of women were on a route that I'd, uh, bolted maybe like a year before. And I talked to them later, but, um, so they were like, picking on the route and saying it wasn't bolted properly and, or it was weird for them. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a funky route cause it starts out really hard, but then there's a, a slab in the middle and then it goes hard again and they couldn't get the bottom of it. So they're going around in a dirty gully and they're like, this route sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I was climbing right next to them. I, I just top rope solo. And I could hear them over here. I'm talking about uh, the, what their experience on the route. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is really interesting feedback. And so I was like, borderline <clears throat> i should talk to these people i shouldn't talk to these people and, <laughs> and and so they got down and i was on the ground and we were close enough to talk so i said uh so you didn't really like that route huh and she's like did you put it up <laughs> oh, busted. I, was oh, like, no. I said yeah i did she's like oh well we just couldn't get the bottom but the top's cool it's like you know it's a what you over here versus what they're really thinking it was fun to talk yeah. to them and they were um teaching a course there though. I thought, no, they're taking a course. Um, they're from California and they came to Mount Erie to take this like Whoa. ski safety course and they're doing rock climbing for ropes work or something. Yeah. Um, so that's super cool. You just people from all wow. over the place. And you know, a lot of times people are from Seattle and, and uh they're like yeah this is the only place in washington that's sunny right now yeah oh yeah that's why i love having eerie next door oh, yeah, it's you, like you can pretty much climb there year round. Mm -hmm. you just have to pick the right day of the week but right. you usually can a lot of times it's dark too it's like mm -hmm. doesn't dry out till late afternoon and i climb a lot with headlamp yeah. obviously especially in the winter um and that's a whole nother yeah um, it is i went on a route where it was uh, i think it was zigzag and it was like this third time that I was up it and I'm like, I need to just, I need to get used to it. I need to practice. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? The only time I'm going to be able to do it is like, it gets dark early when it gets dark. <laughs> nice. and I go up there and I'm in the headlamp and I'm like, yeah. this is way more terrifying than I ever <laughs> thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. I was a terrible partner that night, but <laughs> well, that's probably most of yeah. it. Yeah. I did that. A long time ago with Dallas, I was a story in the guidebook. I don't know if you read that, but um, we went up and I had a headlamp 
that the batteries were dead. So yeah. like pitch two, I was done. And so he was shining his light from below and I was leading and I hit water and uh, yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> it's pretty adventurous for Mount Ariel. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I wrote about that. It's pretty, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> it's in the um, Mount Ariel guidebook. It's cool to be able to set routes and then allow people or, or be able to share like your experience of that route, whether it's like the fears or like, Oh, this is a really cool movement. And then watch that kind of play out. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. So especially when they're new, right. No one's mm-hmm. climbed them. So you go out there and, and people are looking at it. And so then you get to talk about it and you know, no one's got any experience on there. Cause most of those routes, people have climbed a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, Oh yeah, that's the five, nine or that's the 10 a or whatever. It's like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah over time of creating routes to like, um, and also the other people who contribute to creating routes, you build this, this thing where, like you said, build it and they'll come. Right. And now you, you have like people who collect to Mount Erie looking for chasing sun and you see that community kind of forming and you contribute to that community in your own way. Like it must be really cool to, to see that unfold. Right. And to be able to, to help. Oh, it's super special. R- route development. I mean, rock climbing is rare. It's not as rare as it used to be, but installing routes is really rare. I mean, I, I didn't know anybody that put up routes until I met Dallas. I mean, you'd go to places, we'd go to Squamish or whatever, and the routes were put up and you'd see the names in the guidebook. Um, but I never thought I'd be doing yeah. it. You know? <laughs> and so to look, you know, that, and that was really getting comfortable with it with Dallas mm-hmm. um, that, I can, you know, make something that's worthwhile um, and that there are worthwhile routes left to create was a big part of it. Um, but yeah, once, once you, um, once you see people on the routes and, and the, uh, they don't know, you know, you walk up, they don't know who you are and mm-hmm. yeah, it's super cool. And it must've been wild too, moving in, or not even moving, yeah, moving to Anacortes, right? And being able to now spend more time climbing with Dallas and like you're, you're having, spending, you know, most of your time taking care of your family and like working to provide for your family. And then with the coaching thing, if I'm lining yeah. up the timelines right, then there's this dude who's like all in. <laughs> as far as I know, he is the all like, in dude, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so wild and yeah, watching it with the route setting and, and yeah. like timing wise, it like worked out perfect for me. It's like I went from climbing to meeting Dallas, you know, climbing for years and years and years, meeting Dallas. And he's like putting up routes right and left on that area because it's like just picking plums out there, you know, <laughs> for years because um, it's a big area. Oh, yeah. And he just find another wall and put up a bunch of routes and, and uh, call me up and, and other people too, not just me mm-hmm. say, Hey, come climb the routes. And he'd like try to get people out there so he could name the route after him or, you know, some oh, wow. quirky thing or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, and then going up to Cole mountain um, and, and actually I think that's where we put up the most of the routes together was up there. Um, and then just like, this is something that really excites me. Um, it kind of hits a whole bunch of things that make me tick or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like the the art of it and the science of it, but also the grunt work of it. It's like, mm-hmm. I think Brian mentioned something about 
ditch digger jeans. Yeah. I totally got the same thing. It's like, I can dig ditches all day. You know? It's like when you, when you clean routes, it is a lot of work. It's dirty. Uh, you're like spitting crud out of your nose for a day. And uh. It's, it's horrible, but it's awesome. It's like <laughs> you get the different smells of the different lichens and you know, which ones, how they rub off and like pulling moss out. If you can like pull a whole bunch at once and the rock just comes off clean. You're like, yes. <laughs> of course, then it all just dumps down the route below and you got to brush all that off for it all the way down. It's oh like, my God. You know, it's just a ton of work and it could be dangerous too. It's like, you're the first person on the route. So loose rocks and mm-hmm. all that crap. You're the guinea pig. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah. That's wild. But yeah, just timing wise, it turned out great to hook up with Dallas right when he was really going for it mm-hmm. and um, then catching that bug <laughs> and, um, and also catching the vision. I mean, that was a, uh, it's a lot of visions. Like, can you find uh, another route on lookout walls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can. <laughs> and there, you know, there it goes. And, that's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I just think about like how, you know, going up to Erie and how much that shapes like my experience climbing and like my goal, like I basically built my goals around a lot of the routes that, you know, you'd create or someone else would create. Yeah. And like, that's, that's like now built into not like, I don't want to say my identity, but basically how I spent my time thinking about like things built right? into your rock climbing. Yeah. Part of your identity. And it's like, and it's the things <laughs> there that have like inspired me, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And well, I remember looking at routes, um, that were over my head mm-hmm. and thinking, boy, it would be cool to do that. And, um, and then I think after I had the gym and, and got just the technique just got a lot better. Right. And then coming back out there and climbing those routes, that had scared me mm. and climbing them like comfortably. It's like, this is cool. And that's yeah, all happens like on that, that area. It's like, you can have this, this big, like adventure on mm-hmm. that area. You can have, um, you can get lost on that yeah, area. Oh, yeah. You can get scared on that area. You can, people <laughs> die on that area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all this, and it's right in our backyard. It's like so accessible. Yeah. It's like, how lucky are we? <laughs> yeah. And even the route development, it's like, there's not very many places where you can put routes up, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's that's cool, and, and it seems like when you moved to Anacortes, um, was all of this intentional? Like, were you thinking about the things that you like to do and how you can do those more and put those into your life? Yeah, kind of was actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I went to school in Seattle at the UW, and then got married. My wife and I went to Europe for a couple months with backpacks, and we moved back Ooh. to my parents' house. Cause we basically got out of Seattle when mm-hmm. we graduated. Were you and happy to get out of Seattle when you graduated? I was so happy okay. to get out of Seattle. <laughs> um, s- s- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be even more so now. Cause it's just even more crowded. Yeah. I mean, just campus. I don't even recognize the campus. I went to school on everything has grown so much traffic. And anyway, um, yeah. So moving up here was not intentional. That's where all our stuff was stored when we were in Europe. Mm-hmm. So when we came back, um, I had a degree in, well, well, my wife and I both had degrees in architecture. We went to school together. That's where we met. That's cool. And uh, she's from the East coast. So I had only worked outside construction, working for people, odd jobs, whatever. I'd never worked inside. Mm-hmm. And architecture is pretty much an inside job. Mm-hmm. So I was a little anxious about that. Not sure I was going to oh. do architecture even. So there was a firm in LaConnor. My parents, we 
lived near LaConnor, went down and interviewed with that firm to practice interviewing mm-hmm. and got hired on the spot. Like, wow. oh, uh, wait a minute. I'm not even sure we want to live here. <laughs> so then my wife went into Mount Vernon and she got hired. And so now we're, we both have jobs in architecture right out of college, just like that. Wow. Bam. It's like, this is weird, especially in a tiny little area, yeah. right? Rural. And um, so I think within a year, um, she was pregnant. We had the first son. She stopped working. We had her son. She stopped working. Um, I kept working as a, you know, a unlicensed architect mm-hmm. in LaConnor. We lived in LaConnor. Um, so about three and a half years later, my daughter was born, moved in, we moved into a house in LaConnor that we totally gutted mm-hmm. and redid. Cause that's what you do if you're in architecture yes. and construction <laughs> and broke. <laughs> And then, um, so that house was pretty much done and, um, was, I was starting to get excited about climbing again. Oh, you were, was the gutting and remodeling hitting the need to like, to, to have a physical activity? No, that was hitting the need of having a place to live. Okay. that's Yeah. We, we had a little tiny, tiny rental Mm -hmm. on the beach. It was just a little pan boat is 400 and something square feet. We had two, um, son and a daughter. No, my daughter was born in the house in LaConnor. So a son and a big dog, mm-hmm. oh, 400 wow. square feet. And um, so we bought this little house in LaConnor, pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. It was just a wreck. <laughs> I mean, a wreck. And um, so we moved in there. No, actually, we gutted it. I think we moved in with my parents for a little while. Gutted that. Finally moved into that. Wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And then my daughter was born right after that. And then... Um, I started get it, getting excited about climbing again. So I was going with a friend from LaConnor to Mount Erie once in a while, mm-hmm. go rock climbing and, um, and also hiking. Cause we would train to climb mountains going up and down Mount Erie, carrying weight or whatever. Oh really? Yes. Which I still do every week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we ended up driving home a different route mm-hmm. one day. I don't even remember why and saw this for sale sign on this old decrepit house. And this is like in 2005 or something, the mm-hmm. economy was just going gangbusters. This is when they were like giving loans to everybody and anyone mm-hmm. could buy a house with nothing down and found this old farmhouse. Just there were trees growing out of the roof. What? Old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it was for sale. So we drove up the driveway, my climbing buddy and I, and, uh, walked up to the house and it's obviously deserted. Mm-hmm. So I tried the door and it was open. So I just walked in and it was the weirdest thing. The whole thing had been spray painted white inside. <laughs> We're talking over all the door hardware, all the light fixtures Whoa. and new carpet was put in. So it's just <laughs> someone sprayed it all white and threw in cheesy carpet and put it up for sale. Right. Like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, this is close to my area. And right across the street there's um forest land trails mm-hmm. oh, um wow. so it's this super cool spot dude it's awesome. on two acres which is rare oh wow yeah. what? So, but it was a wreck we, we walked in yeah. and, and there was a old wooden table in there and there must have been 30 realtors cards 
on the table. And this is in the height of everyone's buying everything, right? That's wow. how crafty the house was. No one would touch it. It was on a shared well, no septic system. Um, there's nothing good about this house. That's a perfect project for you. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. So, so I, I drove home and I, and I said to my wife that there's a, a house over in Anacortes that we should go look at. So we drive over. She didn't really want to move to Anacortes. Um, I mean, there's no reason to move to Anacortes. Mm-hmm. And she saw the house and it was like, just like her grandmother's house. She's uh, like, Oh, this is the house for us. I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so we moved in, um, like no money down, no inspection. The bank just gave us all the money because <laughs> that's what they were doing then. That's, right. It would never would have passed. Inspection. Yeah. It had no foundation. It had no septic system. Oh, the the wiring was totally toast. But yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> there's like I said, there were, there are literally trees growing out of the roof. <laughs> Um, so we bought it and, you know, for years we remodeled that house. It's still not done. I'm, that's why I have white paint on my hands tonight. Oh, wow. it's, it's been a yeah project for however long, uh, my kids grew up there in a remodel project. Oh, wow. So they think that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, um, moving to Anacortes had a huge impact on my availability for climbing. It's just, I can be rock climbing from my house in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, that's, a, that's a big that's a big deal to be, you know, have the access. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can really, if you can put the time in, um, you know, that's, you get better. You know, yeah. I mean, that's your, yeah. And where you're at now, um, what percentage of rock, what percentage of your like week or month or day even is consists of rock climbing compared to architecture? And like, well, I work more than full time cause I work for myself. Yeah. So yeah, I'm working right now. I'm working, uh, up to 12 hour days, mm-hmm. um, at least five days a week. And I usually work a little bit on the weekend if I'm here, but we're, we're also building a cabin in Mazama just cause I like to have too many things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so all summer, every weekend I was in Mazama. So I'd go over Friday afternoon and come back Sunday night. Um, but I'd climb over there a little bit, <laughs> but I was usually by myself. Yeah. Um, just cause I was working the whole time. Get and, some laps um, in. Um, so I'd climb a little bit by myself. Yeah. On the top rope solo deal, which was super cool. Um, but God, yeah. I, um, yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Living in Anacortes was a, was a big part of, you know, feeling like really part of the close knit community of, mm. of Mount Erie which then allowed me to feel like it was okay for, for me to be involved in development. Does that, how does that work when you're going to go in wanting to develop something on Erie, for instance, are you having to like figure out who has, is like a part of that community and like reach out to them? Like, it depends. Um, I just am that part of that community. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I don't have to reach out to anybody, uh-huh. but yeah. So, um, Jim Thompson and I, he, he wrote the updated Dallas guidebook as we continue to develop. So he and I have been, um, in the last few years doing route development together. Um, and then also now we're getting into replacing, uh, bolts on Mount Erie. So that's a big deal. That's kind of the, the future project of Mount Erie is replacing old bolts. This is just an aside, um, real quick is where does the money come from to maintain existing routes? Um, and whose responsibility is it for maintaining those? There's nobody's responsibility. It's whoever wants to volunteer to do it. Mm-hmm. 
which is nobody except, <laughs> except uh, Jim and I have started to do it. And then another fellow has also uh, expressed some interest. It's a lot of work. It, it's more work to replace bolts than it is to install the original route because you have to pull the old bolts out. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so we just took a class through Warp Washington Anchor Replacement Program. Mm-hmm. A volunteer fellow came over and, and taught a class on bolt removal, which is about as fun as pulling out your fingernails. <laughs> it's horrible. It oh, takes gosh. forever to pull these bolts out. It's oh. a big, complicated, complex process to pull a wedge bolt or a sleeve anchor out of oh my <laughs> they're made not to come out right yeah <laughs> wow. and they really don't <laughs> so yeah so we're uh accumulating tools and um kind of getting psyched <laughs> yeah. to start working on that we we've replaced some bolts but the bolts that were really crappy and they mm-hmm. you just couldn't even pull them so we ended up chopping um those and that's not that's not the way that's like last resort. Yeah. But these, these sense. were, you can even spin the nut off and just break, you know, break the, there's no way you're getting them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can um, do all but you there's, can. there's some really bad stuff on that area. Wow. And so our, our latest, um, kind of climbing community, uh, taking on the responsibility just because we think we should, uh, mm-hmm. project is, is starting to replace bolts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do people like contact like climbing communities or is that just like, well, that, so Jim has a Mount Airy Facebook page set up. And mm-hmm. so people talk through that a little bit. There's no, there's nothing really like formal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting a lot there of are routes that get put up that we're like, where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what I, it's like this sport not, out of other sports, very, very informal. And I like yeah, that in some yeah. fashion. Yeah. Well, I, I think if it got really, uh, rigorous and controlled, I wouldn't be into it. I wouldn't be into it. Either. You know, there's, um, especially on the rebolt mm-hmm. thing, we were talking about how you're not really supposed to add bolts that weren't there on the original deal. So, mm-hmm. so unless you contact the first ascent party, mm-hmm. um, and they approve it or whatever, or they're dead and then the community can change or whatever. But, um, just, I know, um, or I believe that like in Joshua tree, there's a kind of a, a rebolting group and they kind of figure out what's next and they have a program. And, um, I don't know how they're funded. We're funded mostly through the Mattery guidebook. Mm-hmm. So there's a foundation set up when Dallas died that money would go to, um, kind of a fund. And then the Cloakey family foundation would distribute that money in to things that Dallas would have supported. Yeah. Um, and rock climbing is a big one. We've got a lot of, a lot of um, support f- from that foundation. That's uh, cool. Which which makes sense because Jim is the one that has redone the book twice now, mm-hmm. updated it. So and he also has um, put everything on rack up, which is a huge other project. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, but he's done all that. It's done totally amazing. Um, but um, lately, Warp has provided us um, some really nice bolts. Um. And some know-how, like I said, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. took the class. Uh, so yeah, they've been they've been helping. They, they give us equipment for rebolting, not for new routes. Mm. Oh, okay. So that's really cool because it's just it's incredible to see. You know, you go out into the, like the wilderness, right, and you see rock, and then you realize that oh, there's this like hardware that's in the rock that someone dedicated their resources and time, yeah. or 
you know, some community and they put that in there and that's a big commitment. And that's just for whoever wants to walk up and then. That's right. It's all, it's all for anybody to use. Yeah. There's a whole, like, I don't want to, I don't like this word because I don't like the way, you know, the perspective it puts it in, but there's like a whole playground that is like developed and like even go to Washington pass. I mean, that's trad of course, but I mean, you got the slings and stuff and you have the books and it's like, I could just like play, like, this is like yeah, literally absolutely. just a yeah. jungle well, it's gym. Like once you make a trail, you know, it's open for, you know, once you make a mountain bike path, it's yeah. Open for yeah. So it's really cool. I, opening up the wilderness, I think is super cool. I, I don't really have a, um, I think there's so much wilderness out there. I don't have a worry that we're overdeveloping the <laughs> wild lands with like rock climbing and mountain biking and hiking and stuff. I think people need to get out mm-hmm. into the out of doors and if it's accessible, more people will do it. Uh, uh, um, you know, maybe in a hundred years when every rock you walk up to has bolts all over it, mm-hmm. you know, people feel differently. Um, I'd be surprised if that actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there'll always be wild places. I think what bugs me more is when, when people think that wild pl- or places should be preserved mm-hmm. that actually aren't wild Yeah, <laughs> and get really excited about seeing trails in the woods. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, I think that's sad because for me, a trail means access mm-hmm. and if people can get into the woods because the trails there mm-hmm. i think that's positive yeah i i think it is too you see that with um like not to get like really political i guess but you see that with hunting right where when in terms of deer um and elk once you have hunting you put that value on it then it can compete with the value of natural resources that like oil and stuff and now there's like people for sheep for instance who are paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars to hunt one sheep and like no you can tell me you're going to volunteer all you want or you're going to donate all you want, but you're not going to donate that much money. You're like, so rare philanthropist is just going to drop that right. much money on that. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the money things always, you know, for any endeavor, whatever, it's where's the money coming from. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. Luckily rock climbing doesn't take a lot of money to put routes up. Although now we're, um, it's recommended that bolts are bigger than three eights. So that means more expensive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> considerably more expensive. So the la- the, the bolts we're buying now are half inch stainless mm-hmm. and that's, um, that's pretty expensive, Yeah, but yeah. it's not like, it's not like a hundred thousand dollar sheet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> People can still do it. You know, the mm-hmm. average Joe can still do it. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's cool. It's something I want to consider in the future, but yeah, no, the, yeah. it, if you're at all like creative and engineering minded, you know, it's like the perfect thing and yeah. you're physical. It's like, you can put the hours of wire brushing oh, cool. into it and you don't mind getting super dirty and like gritting your teeth and up your nose and in your eyes. That's kind of the thing for you then. <laughs> you know, like, most people aren't going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can stay pretty clean climbing a route that someone else has already put up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to watch adventure movies when I was a kid, like Indiana Jones is a good example. Um, there's others too, but it's like, oh, there's no more. At that time, I had the perspective, like there's no more exploration for me to be at. And now I watch like, you know, like certain films on like real rock or like some mountain films online and um, going out to do these multi-pitch alpine 
find stuff. Nope, nope. That's that's not really the case at all because like all of that is internal and relative to what you know and what you're comfortable in. And then beyond that, like there's always something out there to explore. Like, and that's something that you get into when you're mountaineering and climbing, which is you physically cannot climb or experience all that you want to experience. All you have to do is get on one peak in the North Cascades and do a 360. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. we're good. That's why I'm living <laughs> there's here. There's plenty here <laughs> <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. No, there's definitely, uh, there's, that's why uh, flying is kind of cool. It's like, mm -hmm. When you're on the ground, what do you see? A bunch of buildings and people and cars all over. You get up in the mountains, all you see is mountains. Mm -hmm. It's like there's so much land. You get up in an airplane, you fly across the country. It's like, oh, there's no one here, guys. Well, it's just the land is barren. There's no cities. There's no highways. It's, you're just flying over this empty land. Everyone in the United States can fit in the state of Texas. They're all. Oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> and have like an acre each or whatever. Yeah. No, you can, you, you fly over these densely populated. Well, most people spend most of their time in a densely populated area. And you mm -hmm. think that's what everything is. Um, but it's not at all. I mean, there's going to be wild spaces for people to adventure in for a long time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, has there been a moment where, recently with your climbing, right. As you've gotten into climbing more and you've settled in Anacortes, like that you've had to consider your, like you've been in a crossroads of focus to where like maybe architecture or climbing is pulling you in one way and well, taking away from the other. always been what I do for a living mm -hmm. and climbing's always been what I do for fun. Mm -hmm. So it's never, you, I never had to sacrifice. I never got into climbing enough to think that I, needed to stop working. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, people laugh about going climbing with me. Cause it, you know, if I go to Vantage or something for the day, I want to climb like 20 routes. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I think my son and I went to, um, Leavenworth one time, climb like 29 routes or something. And it's like, um, it was just all about how many routes I could climb, but it was like sun up till sundown. It's like, you don't mm -hmm. eat lunch. Like we're here to climb. Right. Yeah. That goes back to the food thing. It's like, well, we don't really have time for that. Yeah, exactly. We're climbing. <laughs> we're climbing. This is like the best possible thing we could be doing. So it's just, we're just going to max that mm -hmm. out. But then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm dead. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's a three day climbing adventure or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know if I can climb tomorrow. Um, so I, I, you, I can't climb, you know, seven days a week or whatever. That's impossible. Even when I was like 20, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, especially if you're climbing hard stuff. You just, so yeah, architecture, I can see Mount Erie from my office. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, it looks pretty good out there. So I, and, and I work for myself. So I set my own hours. It's like, mm -hmm. if I have a lot of work to do, I can't go climbing as much, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I can still go. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. Sunday afternoon, the sun came out. Um, mm -hmm. I'm on Mount Erie. Um, or I'm like working on a, uh, a wall that ha has some new routes and it's going to take a bunch of work. And, um, so then I tend to go up there more or spend more time in the dark or in the rain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can do that in the dark and the rain cleaning, cleaning and, um, and then you wait for a sunny day and you go spend a couple hours and see if you can climb any of those things. And if it all looks good. You come back and throw some bolts in it. And, um, yeah, I never felt like, um, there was, there was a, 
this or that with architecture and climbing. Mm. Raising kids is a little different. That's pretty intense. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, definitely the climbing got set back, uh, backburnered uh, for, especially when the kids were young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like, I mean, I was having fun doing stuff with the kids. So I don't feel like I like missed out on yeah. climbing or something because I had kids. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you in the sense that like my son and I will go to the Pacific Science Center and yeah. I'm having a blast. The, the only thing that'll yeah, sneak yeah. in is like the the weekly angst where it's like, my my am I doing the things that I need to to take care of myself? Like, but that's perhaps because I don't have the the career, not the career aspect, but I'm not having a way that's generating me um, the finances and not for the cushy uh, jacket or to make everything just right, but just to, you know, put myself in a place where I feel stable. Right. And that means for me, like living on my own, I guess, because like, I, I guess I had absolutely yeah. about that. Yeah. This, the, um, that's where I was super lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's not a lot of jobs out there in the Valley that mm-hmm. you can, set your own hours, work by yourself. If that's what you want to do, work locally and make enough money to live, you know, so that, um, that's not a constant worry so that you feel stable and, you know, there's ups and downs in architecture. It's like, I'll go for a year with nothing to do. It's like, <laughs> this was a bad choice. Yeah. You know? Like, like young, young people say, Oh, you're an architect. I, I want to be an architect. Do you have any, uh, sage advice or whatever i'm like yeah don't be an architect (laughs) but you know it's a it takes um yeah um not everyone it's not a job for everyone there's ups and downs with the economy that you have to be willing to so not too many years ago when the economy was really tight Mm -hmm. you know buildings one of the first thing that gets cut out Mm -hmm. right so um, I was like weeding people's yards. Mm-hmm. People don't know that, but yeah, I was making like five bucks an hour weeding wow. people's yards just, just so I could, you know, have some kind of income. What was going on in, in your head around those times? And like, what was it difficult? Actually kind of like to... weeding. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, you, digging, you whatever. The, yeah, exactly. It's kind of what I do on Mount Erie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same. No, but it's super tough going from, you know, a lot an hour to five bucks an hour yeah. or whatever and feeling like, you know, you get, and I'd already been warned about this in our, and as, as going into architecture and I, I have a pretty good, um, um, you, you know, um, strong psyche or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. those, those things don't like knock the wind out of me too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you're very res- mentally resilient. I think so. At least, um, nothing ever got bad enough that, you know, like you, we never lost our house or you trusted that you wouldn't be homeless. Right. Well, you have, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. You have to trust that. mm -hmm, And if it happens, it's like, I mean, you don't want to plan for that or kind of plan for it, but you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to all of a sudden end up like, um, life is horrible because you lose your house because there's no work. Right. You, you, um, I mean, I never had to do it, so I don't know, but, I would hope that, um, you know, worst case we'd, we'd move somewhere where there was work or, you know, it, it wouldn't be an architecture probably when the economy's down, but whatever, you know, do anything. Um, mm-hmm. um, but try to stay upbeat, you know, is, so does that, does that, is that the same feeling as when you were in those 
if I have the timelines right, is when you're in the dangerous situations, although much more muted with in your youth when you're climbing in the mountains, when the economy goes down and then the pressure's a little bit on, architecture's not paying you what you need to right now. So you have to go and start weeding. Like, you, you know, there's a pressured scenario. It's like- Well, those are kind of different timelines because the <clears throat> scary climbing stuff, I wouldn't say- it was the dumb climbing stuff, which then made it scary. Yeah. That was mostly in college. That was in college. Yeah. So we we had kids right out of college. So there wasn't like a, a period of my life where we had lots of money yeah. and no kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I noticed that you're able to keep your head together well in those scenarios. And then it sounds like as you're with the architecture thing and, and when the economy goes down. Yeah, so that on. on that side of things, yeah. But um and then I've also just lucked out, you know, uh, I've had, you know, here and there when the economy's down, I've had a good job mm -hmm. that was long lasting. So it's a big job It's just by chance it's just mm -hmm. luck or yeah. whatever. And so I've never been really out of, out of like no option kind of a yeah. situation. At with, the end with, of your rope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is you no know, chance probably mm -hmm. right? yeah it really is right <laughs> yeah. yeah luck and opportunity right mm -hmm. yeah but yeah. The, so then so but in architecture i really try to not be run of the mill so mm. if i can if i can do things that would appeal to you know people that want to do something exotic i think mm. there's a a niche there that mm. um i've created that um, maybe helps me when times are tough because I can do anything, but yeah. I can also do the exotic uh, in design. So if, 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 if I have kind of a, a unique skill set or whatever that that's obviously it's going to help. You diversify your skill set so that yeah. you have wider range of opportunities, which, which you have to do anyway in a small town. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you like, make that kind of your specialty or whatever the exotic mm -hmm. then then i think that might open up some doors in times of you know slow times times of tough yeah exactly tough going yeah and when you, with like your enjoyment of architecture did you always know that you're gonna enjoy architecture not at all no no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not so so Growing up, I didn't know what I was going to be. No mm -hmm. idea. Um, actually, late high school, I thought I was going to be a boat builder. <laughs> and I was actually signed up to take marine technology classes at Skagit Valley College. So as a senior, I signed up for that. And then right before I started heading, and that was an Oak Harbor campus, <laughs> right before school started, I think it was my grand, my mom's mom was living with us. She was quite elderly. And I think, it, I think it was, this is correct. Um, she said, are you sure that's what you want to do? Or something like that. Cause she could see, you know, it's like people that are older and wiser yeah. are like oh, yeah. trying to set up mm -hmm. the, the younger people for yeah. success. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and so I kind of thought about it for a little while. I don't even think I answered her. And then I just went in and changed all my classes to academic classes and changed campus to the, to the Mount Vernon campus. And, um, so I went there for two years and a quarter, I believe, and got mm -hmm. my associate's degree. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I 
I had an instructor there who was really kind of a uh, inspiration to me. Oh, and wow. she was an engineering professor and had a lot of like real world experience. That's what I loved about Skagit is all the mm. people teaching there were were knowledgeable in their field. They actually worked in the field. Oh, that's great. Totally different than my University of Washington tower. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so she kind of saw that I had some kind of aptitude for something, I guess, because <laughs> she would talk to me and, and um, kind of convinced me that an engineering track would be good. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of math and, um, and also like engineering drafting and, and, I think that was a class of like five people and and she taught that class. And I remember her going through these really complicated, um, like projection drawing things and all hand done, you know, back in the day. And she'd be like partway through it and then get stuck. And she'd like, look at me and then we'd kind of work it out together. And then, oh, wow. so it was really fun. And, and that's what I again loved about Skagit that it's like, these people are real. The instructors are real. They're interactive. They're here to help us. They have no, um, um, they weren't looking down on people. Mm. Um, it, um, a lot of the, so when I was there, that was in 80, 86, 87, then 87, 88. And most of the people that there was no, um, student housing there at the time. Um, just a couple of old buildings, wow. well, a few old buildings. Um, but a lot of the people there were older people trying to get back into the workforce. So going from high school to a campus where it's all adults mm-hmm. and the instructors are like engaged and care about wow. the success of the, their students was like, this is totally different than any kind of school experience I've ever had. That's so and, cool. And I, I really enjoyed going to Skagit. People laugh because well, it's just a community college or whatever. Um, and it wasn't even a highly thought of community. I mean, it's tiny mm-hmm. yeah. back, back then. Um, but I, I, out of all my school, that was probably, except for community school when I was a little kid, this mm-hmm. alternative school in, in not Kirkland, which was amazing. I was only there for a year or two. Oh, alternatives. Mm-hmm. Cool. It was like, um, the hippie school. It's like a bunch of like peace and love. Oh, that's people so running cool, around. It's just one big room. You guys have the coolest school. <laughs> <Yeah. like> <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. We, yeah, that we'd go on and on about that, but that, that was, that was really cool. That was like, w- once I'd gone there, it's like, I know what things could be like. And so I think that's why mm. the rest of the school sucked because it's like, I'd already had this really amazing experience yeah. where we're like people just run around and we ran around outside and we like had a wood shop and we would like make swords and knives. And like, we'd divide each, the whole school just did this on their own for fun. Right. All the kids in the school. And, and we, it was like, we'd have wars of like, um, um, nights as a round table or something we'd Whoa. have all these names and and we would like build these super elaborate like wooden oh that is so and cool things. and it was just and we there was a steep hillside in the woods and we'd like dig holes in it, you know? oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> swings bad. off swing you know rope swings off the trees and and um it's there were no teachers it was i mean there were <laughs> teachers but there were no classes and there are just people walking around kind of like uh, yeah, whatever you're interested in, let's do that for a while. And there's like this huge, um, one of the things I remember really well is like this giant pile of wooden blocks uh-huh. that was like all cut so that, you know, they would stack up nicely. Mm-hmm. So they're all like 
ratio sizes and everything. Um, so you could build things with them like, and they had a huge pile and you could build like the size of your kitchen of, wow. of like castles and, oh, and cars so and ramps. Cool. And it, so you could really get into oh, these it. These things would last for weeks. Like you'd be building these with, with other people. It was, it was called the community school, but it was like this alternative school for, um, people who didn't want to put their kids into the regular deal. So there were all the whole broad spectrum of different types of kids. There, yeah, yeah. So all ages, um, up, up to high school, I think mm -hmm. there might've been some high school kids when I first started. Um, and so what, whatever kind of level you're out of a certain thing, that's kind of the people you hung out with for that thing. But then wow. you, if you're in a different level of a different thing, you'd hang out with those people. Um, so like there were some kind of math, like, gatherings you know? yeah. and we'd have like the Cuisinier rods and, 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 you know, build stuff and learn math. And, um, there was a big library in there and people were always reading. There's a whole, just like open, like sofas and cushions and stuff. Whoa. I mean, it was a total hippie thing. Yeah. It, it was the coolest thing. That is so rad. Um, but so, so there was that great school experience and then Skagit was really cool. And, and so I was on this like pre-engineering track at Skagit, which I didn't even know what engineering was, you know, but I was taking math and, some kind yeah, of engineering classes. And, um, then I went, so, th so you have to kind of apply into a field or whatever at the university of Washington when you go in. And so mm -hmm. I'd said pre-engineering, whatever. So I was tracked with all these engineering classes and went down there. Um, total culture shock. It's like, you know, did really well in high school, did really well at Skagit. It's like, go to the UW. It's like, Oh, by the way, you're a nobody. 30,000 plus people oh. on campus. They have Ooh. their own zip codes, like buildings everywhere. It's like, I don't know where my class is. Exactly. And that was the first class. time living away from home. And so it was, it was wow. a huge transition. Um, I knew a couple people there, um, kind of hooked up with them. But so I went into engineering and hated it. Really? So I took a, I was there for a whole, whole year in pre-engineering classes, hating it, like Fortran programming and more calculus and just oh, yeah. in these huge classrooms, um, with like multiple layers of, it's like you're in a theater. Like there's Whoa. hundreds and hundreds of people. So the biggest school I've gone to is in a town of 30,000 and that school was not huge. So yeah. Wow. So this whole like school was up there. Yeah. Wow. So it was just nuts. And, um, so, but I, but I moved into a house with a bunch of people and one of the guys I got to know pretty well and got him excited about climbing. He's like my first real climbing partner. Um, and so we were like figuring out what we're doing for our job in the, in the summer, right? Summertime job. And, uh, his mom worked at Boeing. She was a, um, secretary to whatever, just some administrative big wig or whatever. Anyway, so is my friend said, oh, you, you need to uh, try to hook up at Boeing. <laughs> and uh, so I applied and um, applied at the beginning of summer and didn't hear back till the end of summer. And they said, you're hired. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I applied and I had to take this pre-employment class. I was down at Green River Community College. So I was mm -hmm. commuting all, oh, it's just Oh wow, that's great commute. It was horrible. Well, from Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still nasty. Um, so went through that class and I was, I was like the A students, like I know how to do all this crafty stuff already. And I, I easily do all the, the paper stuff. Cause you know, I'm at the university of Washington. Mm -hmm. Right. So what are you doing in this class anyway, dude? <laughs> and, uh, so I went through that and then uh, all the people that were in the class got hired and I never got hired. 
And I couldn't figure it out because I was in touch with them. At the end of the summer, um, they finally called me up and say, you're hired. I'm like, well, I'm going back to school. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go back. Well, I went part-time to school and I went full-time at Boeing. Mm-hmm. Second shift. So I was working from like four to midnight or whatever. Oh, wow. And then trying to take these engineering classes, which I hated. Mm-hmm. So finally, I just bailed. I said, screw it. Not doing it. Not interested. And so I kept working at Boeing. Um, like in o- October, they go on strike. Mm-hmm. So I just quit school, oh. signed up for a job that now there isn't one, right? They're on strike for months. And, uh, in the spring it started back up again. And I think I'd taken like one class in the fall and one class in the winter or something, but spring, I just like bailed. I said, I, I hate engineering. Mm-hmm. And so, um, spent a year at Boeing and decided that this is probably not where I want to retire. Although oh. a lot of people there did. Mm-hmm. I did not. I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> I a Dodge. I couldn't live in Seattle anyway. Um, so just by some whim, I said, I thought I'd try architecture because it's like I have construction experience and I can draw. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> right? yeah. That's fine. So I went in, it's like, Whoa, this is really easy and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, went through the architecture program with UW. And then you liked it enough to where it was more about doing architecture than making a paycheck, right? Well, I had to make a paycheck because like I said, we got married and had yeah. family right away. So, um, I was an intern. Well, I was, it took me like six or seven years before I had all my credit hours in to sit for the licensing exam. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the, in that amount, you know, for, so for that first bit, I didn't make a lot of money cause mm-hmm. you're just working basically uh, for somebody else that's making a little bit of money. And yeah, you know, so architects don't make a lot of money in Skagit Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I, I watched how that whole place was set up and made some decisions on how I wanted to do it mm-hmm. and, um, decided that I wanted enough autonomy that I could make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. So I bailed and um, started my own uh, deal. And that was kind of scary, mm-hmm. um, but it's been fine. It's always been, it it's always been a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And do you like to make your own decisions and having the power to like work by yourself or collaborate with others? Well, it's collaborating with others in the way that is successful. That's what I really wanted to make happen. And that's what, it wasn't happening in the place I was working. So I, I, I you know, took to heart what worked and what didn't and, <clears throat> and um, set up my deal so that I tried to do the things that worked. <clears throat> and I think it's working pretty well. That's um, cool. Yeah. It's, it's just been super fun to be involved in all sizes of projects with all different kinds of people and clients and contractors and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I hope my graphic design goes the same way yeah. in the sense that I don't explicitly like graphic design. I didn't know that I'd like that, but I like drawing, I like writing, I like it just hits all those right. things. Yeah. And like, as I'm going into it, I'm trying to feel it out. Cause I'm at that point where it's like, it's a little self-serving, but I also know quite a few people who struggle with that, that balance, right. Between like, I need money. Well, it's gotta be self-serving. You have to do something that you get something out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not just money. I mean, mm-hmm. but that, yeah. solves some, uh, needs for you for sure. And it's quite the balance because sometimes you can see unhappiness when one compromises on one or the other, like Becky's oh, a good time. example, right. With yeah. compromising on money. And then yeah. someone who's a workaholic yeah. and doesn't have the passion compromises yeah. on the time. Well, there's also the, 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 those are like the, the good 
extremes. Yeah. Uh, the bad extreme or the not extreme, but the bad place to be is you're working all the time and not making any money and you're not climbing. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, that's depressing. And that's pretty common though. Right. And it's hard to find something where you can either have enough work that you can be a workaholic Mm -hmm. and that's something, or you can survive and be a climaholic or whatever and survive. Mm -hmm. That's rare. So yeah, the, um, I mean, it's tough to live in the extremes, but it's horrible to live in the doldrums. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> I think that's yeah. kind of the exciting balance that you have, you know, as an individual. So you get to figure out like, what are yeah. the cards that you're dealt and yeah. how can you play them? Yeah. And the, 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 um, I'm not really, really good at anything, but mm-hmm. I like to do a lot of things. And I'm pretty good out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So that's, I remember as a little kid, like Leonardo da Vinci, it's like, that guy's good at everything. It's like, that's not very common, right? That's super rare. So I thought that'd be really cool to be good at everything. (laughs) Usually doesn't work out that way. I still think that I'm like, I'm going to be really good at running and climbing and jujitsu. It's like, (laughs) well, part of the problem with, what really good is, is that we have so much access to information. We can see cutting edge on anything we want to see mm-hmm. graphic design, uh, architecture running. And you compare yourself to that. It's like, yeah, I suck at everything, mm-hmm. but yeah. really you don't. It's like, really, you probably are really good at a whole bunch of things. It's just, you're always comparing yourself to something better. Mm-hmm. And then, um, which is good because you have to strive towards things, but it's bad because you're never going to be the best at something. Mm-hmm. I mean, very extreme rare case maybe, um, but you're really never going to be the best at a whole bunch of things. Exactly. And then <laughs> that can be pretty good at a lot of things. Calls into question for you as you go about doing all these things, you know, as the individual does, it's like, well, now how do you measure or gauge your fulfillment or rather success over like how you perceive your whole life? Cause if you're going to, why, why spend a lot of time pursuing rock climbing or architecture? If your goal is not to ultimately be, the best in that field, but there's so much more to things than that. That's easy. Yeah. The goal is to get, uh, something out of it, get Mm -hmm. happiness, get inspiration, get uh, fulfillment. And you definitely don't have to be the best at, or even close to the best. Like I said, you go out to Manuri and the sun is setting and the the rock is warm Mm -hmm. and you're out there by yourself on your top rope solo and you're on a five, seven going up and down. It's like, this is the coolest thing. (laughs) Right. I think it's more of those moments when you can get sucked into the process and to really enjoy it and to really have fun with it instead of getting caught up in like what your result might be from it. Right. Or like, I mean, I think about that a lot. It's like, I want to climb five twelve, and it's like, I could focus on, all right, today's the day that I'm going to work closer to five twelve. Right. I'm nowhere near that. I'm like five ten, but you, Instead of that, I could be like, I'm just going to really try to enjoy the opportunity to climb today. I'm going to feel these moves. Like I'm going to really lean into them, you know, and get more quality out of your life. Because in the end, all you have, like, sure, you can aspire to like reach this one final goal, but like that's well, going to take all you of your it? time. What like, are you going to do if you get it? Then what? Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to up the bar. So the bar doesn't mean anything. It's just the next thing. Mm-hmm. But really the, um, so like one of my favorite things is to throw the rope over the five twelve that I can't climb, mm-hmm. but climb on it. So it's like, okay, I can climb from here to here on this five twelve route. Here I can't climb it at all. Um, so I'm going to spend a little time down here where I can't climb it at all. And um, I've never done that before, but lately I've been doing that. It's like, oh. this is cool because you're knocking. It's like almost like you're knocking down these barriers. It's like, here's something I didn't think I could do, and 
through some work, not with like 50 million hours in the gym training, but just like being on the rock and, and like figuring it out. It's, it's so, there's so much mental uh, mm-hmm. on, on these harder climbs. Um, just body positions. So you don't have to be stronger. Your hips just have to be turned this way. And unlocking that and figuring it out is, um, uh, that's the success that, that I go after. That's what, what the fun part of climbing is. It's like, I couldn't climb it. Now I can. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't care if it's five, seven or five twelve. I couldn't climb it. And now I can, it's like, Ooh, there's a, um, a goal. And I just made it for myself and I can go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Right. And the good thing for me is I'm 50 now, so I can't remember anything. So like mm-hmm. I can, it's just Mount Erie, right? There's only so many five twelves. I can go back and do that five twelve again. Cause I forgot everything. <laughs> yeah, <in the> <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <laughs> I need to do that. How do I hurry that up? <laughs> I won't forget everything. <laughs> Dallas Cloakey. Oh my gosh. So that guy, I remember going to the mountains, some obscure place that I was going to, some little peak I was going to climb mm-hmm. out in the middle of the boondocks with some guy who was kind of showing um, what climbing was about. Mm-hmm. And Dallas was asking me what I was doing that weekend or something. So I told him, he's like, oh yeah, here, let me, let me draw you a topo. I'm like, oh, seriously? <laughs> so, so he gets like the back of a napkin or something in his pen out and he draws this whole thing. It's like, okay, you step up on this rock and then you grab this tree and then you got to cross over here to this other little rock and then step up on this. And then there's a root here you grab. I'm like, were you just up there? No, I was up there when, about 30 years ago. I'm like, well, why are you drawing me a top of Cause it's going to be totally worthless. So I take the thing up in the mountain and I like get to that like crux area. Right. And I hold this napkin up in front of me. And it's like, it's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. <laughs> I can't even remember my middle name. And this guy has drawn me a topo of all wow. the moves in the crux part of this climb from 30 years ago. And that's how Dallas was. He, he was a um, diary guy, right? He has, yeah. he, all his climbs, he would record, he'd draw, um, you know, the, the route. And even if it was already recorded, um, he'd draw it and say what his experience was on it. Whoa. Yeah. That's so so cool. I, have, I have a whole bunch of hand-drawn uh, Dallas Cloakey, um, you know, routes for rock climbing, whatever. It's pretty cool. Wow. Really That'd be really cool. Yeah. Huh. I want to do something like that. I carry a notebook with me yeah. sometimes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it, it's like his climbing journal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the old climbers used to do that partly because, um, that was then a record of, of the climb that no one else had. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, first ascents, you mm-hmm. know, that that's how you prove or whatever you did the first ascent. Um, and, it, um, you know, the, so you don't get online, get info back then you would like call somebody who may have done the climb and Whoa. hopefully they have a record of it. And that's so Dallas had wild. the records, right? So yeah, it was pretty cool to see that because that's a generational thing for sure. Now you just yeah. get on, you know, on your phone and you find out all the information uh-huh. you want. But back then it's like, try to find someone who climbed it and kept a journal of it. And, wow. Yeah. That's like trying to find like some secret pathway to like oh, some totally. treasure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it yeah. is. Yeah. And then for anyone who hasn't seen a topo, it looks like a terribly drawn pirate map <laughs> totally. <laughs> With a bunch of gibberish if you yeah, don't know the Perhaps one no legend either. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I've had that trouble with, I think it was like prime rib and trying to find the route because it's like starts at the base of a big fir tree. And then without much forward thinking, I'm, I'm in a place without service and I'm hiking up this like chossy slope. Yeah, yeah. Taylor slope. And like, like, I don't know what a fir tree is. <laughs> The first time uh, I climbed Prime Rib, it took us maybe almost four hours to find it. 
And that's what the route description. Yeah, that's, that's what I had too. Like I read the route description thoroughly. Found, we found a cool mine shaft with like rails sticking out of it and everything. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I think I found one where it has like the vent tube coming out oh, of the base of the cliff. Yeah. yeah, we were we actually climbed. Started a climb and it was a five eleven the um, the restless natives uh-huh. and then I realized that on the third pitch <laughs> that oh this isn't a dried stream right next to me <laughs> this is really hard we need to go back <laughs> I thought that sand was yeah. supposed to be easy yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was like one of the, my favorite climbs ever it was primary that's awesome I love it yeah but and it's very much like I love putting myself in there where I am afraid. Uh, I'm not even afraid where I have to rely on my skills to be able to um, maintain safety in a situation and continue my progress. Safety and calmness. I think the mm-hmm. the head game of climbing is, is a big part of it. That's that draws mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's like here you have put yourself in a position where you naturally don't feel like you should be right. <laughs> it's like, that's a fun thing about climbing too, though. It's like you climb up, you get back down, you look back up. And you're like, whoa, we just climbed that. Yeah. That's not normal. <laughs> no. <laughs> Humans aren't supposed to do that. And yeah. I wonder, do you get, is that still a part of the way you see things? Like, do you still have those moments or does it get tamed out? Of um, fear? Yeah, of fear and like, oh. I if If I'm climbing something I've climbed before, mm-hmm. no fear. If I'm climbing something I've never climbed before, then absolutely. Yeah. I think it's the unknown thing. It's the, the, um, I don't know if it's going to get hard. I don't know if the pro is going to be there. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get off. I don't know if there's anchors. Um, I was just on a route over there last, well, it was before the pass closed. So mm-hmm. maybe a month or so ago now, um, that I hadn't climbed before on a prospector wall mm-hmm. and went up and it was bolted, 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 and then no bolts. <laughs> That's rare for Mazama, yeah. right? And and then like, well, typically I'd get wigged out here, but this is Mazama, so I must just not see the bolt. And I just stopped there for like a long time. No bolts. <laughs> and uh, so there was a group of people and one of them's like looking in the guidebook or on his phone or something. And he's like, yeah, I think it just joins up with the other route over there. So it's a totally weird thing, right? Mm-hmm. So like if he wasn't up there down there telling me where it went, it's like I would have. I'd probably still be there. Yeah, like, exactly. I, yeah. So, but, but I, it was kind of interesting cause you could, I mean, obviously I could just lower off the last bolt, right? Mm-hmm. No big deal. But, um, but you can feel like that if I go up and I don't know where I'm going, I don't know if there's any pro that like anxiety levels, like mm-hmm. goes up and it's like, you can feel it go through your body. And it's like, and then I, you know, it's kind of, you can kind of on, on that route. It's like, you can kind of laugh it off. So I, I can just lower off this thing. Yeah. Right? But, but if you, it, it was, it was interesting because I hadn't had that feeling in a while. Cause I've mostly been doing like this top rope solo stuff where you start at the top. So you know exactly mm-hmm. what the whole thing is. And there's no, there's no like way to get fear. Really. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no surprise. Yeah, yeah. Definitely no surprise. But yeah, when you go and in, go into somewhere, uh, unknown, that's, mm-hmm. that's for sure when it can happen. Yeah. I really like Alpine environments for that reason. Yeah. I, I think anyways, yeah. It's, yeah. It's magical. Uh, and I always liken it to like if people were to think of any like fantasy novel where there's like a trout like collectively, even Lord of the Rings is like a really good example. Like it feels very Lord of the Ringsy 
Because you you definitely big adventure, super, yeah, unknown. And you have a Tackling partner, big obstacles. Yeah, yeah exactly. you all, you have a partner who you're dependent on your life for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you're depending upon your life. And that's what I think about with the running too. Because if I get like a techie, you know, like Talus Field, right, or if mm-hmm. I'm um, sliding down like kitty litter, mm-hmm. like I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't yeah. know why Talus running is cool, but it definitely has consequences. Yeah, it does. I like yeah. it because I can um, be ignorant. <laughs> and naive and try not to think about the consequences. <laughs> well, Whereas yeah. with climbing, I'm like, <laughs> it's hard to get rid of that. Yeah. Is, so what, what I'm hoping with is I learned glacial travel is like, hopefully that if I don't actively see the risk, it's like Russian <laughs> roulette. Comforting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> see, I can be ignorant. I'll be safe. But <laughs> I remember uh, many, many times, um, pretty much every time we went out in college, if it was a, rock climb no if it was a crack climb we're like screw this forget crack climb we're only going to do face climbing and we get on a face climb it's like yeah screw this this is too scary yeah. we're only, we're only going to alpine climb and we'd be on an alpine climb like this is really dumb we should stay to, <laughs> to rock climbing in cracks where you can put pro in then we go climb a crack it's like oh that's too scary we should only do slabs and just got going around and around and around like, you know i'm doing that right now to be honest with you i was in everything's scary I'm like you know you could just like catfall slide down this oh, yeah. solo this is fine yeah, so darrington is a place where like i talked about before it's like and 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 i think part of it the reason for those kinds of routes was that it was a real pain in the butt to put bolts in Mm -hmm. right now now you can just like get your drill right and your batteries and like shoot in half inches all day right but back then if if you're like hand drilling or if you're poor and you only have three bolts or whatever it's (laughs) like or or if you're a 512 climber you're putting up a five nine Mm -hmm. just run it out it's like i can climb this um but those, those are the kind of places where it's really nice rock and it's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I, in in my mind, I'm like all for like going back in there and making those, you oh, know, yeah. uh, modern climbs. Mm-hmm. Is that what they call them? Lots of bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Make them safe and accessible. And, and it just opens it up to so much more, um, so much, so many more people can have that experience of mm-hmm. being in that place. And, um, I don't, I don't believe that people are really looking for the, I might die at any minute adventure. Mm-hmm. I just, you could just skip the bolts. You yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. Just don't clip them. Yeah. And I mean, I was really poor and I was doing prime rib and like, I, it was comfortable for me at, you know, certain pitches and it's like, I skipped the bolts cause I didn't want sure. to back clean. And That's it's right. like, absolutely. And I, yeah, I don't have option. 15 draws. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the, the cool thing to that is, is I would agree as well as like, you even see it in like the, Becky's movie, like Dirtbag, right? Where there's a divide where people are chasing like this, like near death this experience, more like that mountaineering, if I'm right, where the great more intensity of that is, is like it's getting more and more dangerous and less protectable. But like, I don't think that that's where a group of people. Like That's not where most people want to be it. when they go in the mountains. Yeah. And That's I, a very small sliver. And I can simulate, have experiences that challenge me and make me have anxiety and uncertainty um, without compromising my life. I don't think that goes hand in hand, to be honest. Like, I, And that's what people like an armchair climber someone who doesn't know much about climbing they'd ask me that like oh that's that's so dangerous like you're gonna die one day and it's like well actually well, it's, I wouldn't it's put too bad that in. i got to know you because you're probably gonna die tomorrow yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and it's like i'm i'm afraid like i'm terrified of doing something that's fatal like i wouldn't 
I wouldn't put myself in that scenario. Mostly. No, that's the, that's the really cool thing about climbing is you're like 90% in that scenario, mm-hmm. but you're actually, you don't have to, you don't have to be, uh, it, it, so you don't have to be, you can feel like you're in a, mm-hmm. I'm going to die situation, but you don't, if you pay attention, you don't actually have to be in a, I'm going to die situation. And you get the experience to be able to show yourself otherwise, to be able to calm yourself down and help yourself realize that, okay, if I fall right here, what's going on in my imagination is not going to happen. Basically deescalating yourself. The reason one of the biggest draws for climbing for me is that your mind goes a hundred percent to what you're doing at that moment. So it's totally, it's, it's, but of anything I know, it's the, in the now thing that you can do. You can only be in the present when you're rock climbing. I mean, unless you're climbing five, four or whatever, and you yeah. can like sing or whatever, but if you're climbing close to your limit, you have to be a hundred percent focused and you, your brain cannot work on anything else. Mm-hmm. You're not an architect. You're not a graphic designer. You're not a parent. What you are is I'm not going to die right now. Mm-hmm. And your brain goes right there so fast. And, and to be in that, you can, you can get there. So you don't have to go on a around the world adventure mm-hmm. to get into that position. You can get into that in just a few minutes from my house. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa. It's, it's, it's like, um, if, if I climb and then mm-hmm. go back to work the next day, it's like almost like a, erasure of the days before it's like a start over it's like refreshing it's like my mind has reset Mm -hmm. it's like you don't you can do that with a big adventure right and and you're actually gone for 20 days or whatever Mm -hmm. but you can do that in like a couple hours on that area it's like the coolest thing it's like people i keep trying to explain that people but if you don't actually do it you're not going to get it it's Mm -hmm. like your brain almost erases like what happened to you that day mm-hmm. and the day before and, and all the, all the, the little nitty, and just, nitty little tiny things that are like eating away at the sides of your brain that you're not really thinking about your brain ditches those when you're on the rock, yeah. right? they're gone. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, you just feel so good. I feel so good when, when I've spent, you know, a couple hours on the, on the wall. And they say that, you know, when you, when you have, if humans have free time, right. They often go looking for mischief. And that's where I find like when you create these experiences that that simulate, you know, very intense experiences, you know, and climbing like this, that big one, like how you say it, just like can erase everything from the day that day and the day before Mm -hmm. is like those experiences make me never want to like not want to seek mischief, like all the things that all the desires that I would have that would subconsciously be pushing me forward. Right. Maybe like creating um creating drama or like some self-destructive routine, right? It gets, um, exercised out. Well, there must be a human thing where you, you need, um, uh, to confront something difficult, Mm -hmm. um, or scary or that produces anxiety or, um, uh, that is physically demanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, um, I think that's kind of a human thing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you can get all those like really richly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, not just a little bit. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> not at all. Like I've been like 11 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 
I'm alive. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm still alive. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm going to sell my gear. And, the, and on top of that, I can even get that <laughs> with my son <laughs> within ears reach, hanging out with his friends and then and some adults down there. And I am having that yeah. experience. Yeah. Like, Dad, yeah. how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, talk to me right now. Like, Leave me alone. I'm sorry. I'm just scared. And he's like, it's okay, dad. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> but I think is that that we we crave that. And if we don't we don't have that, we'll go find it. And like I've seen that with people who have like, you know, just dysfunctional patterns, you know, for me, it's more been like if I didn't have something that commanded my full attention, you know, a big problem in my life, um, I'd just be depressed in some sense. But now it's like through jujitsu and then running and climbing, like I'm compelled, but it's interesting because kind of like what you were talking about, about, you know, like who knows if you're an architect or if you're like a climber or runner and really you could be like the best painter in the world um, is like willing to risk letting go of something, even if temporarily all the things that, you know, to try something else to see how it feels and like going on that exploration of, you know, how does this feel for me? And, and does it fulfill me and does it help me stave off whatever things you're dealing with. Absolutely. Yeah. It could be a one-time thing like bungee jumping, but if you mm -hmm. bungee jumped every day, it'd be like going for a ride on the swing set. Right. It's yeah. like, it wouldn't be there, but for some reason, rock climbing every time it's like, mm -hmm. uh, 11 out of 10. Yeah. 11 yeah. Out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. And the crazy thing is, is that I watch my son and he's like grown that love for it over time. And it's like, I've never pushed him. It's like, we're out here outside. You don't have a natural disposition to being outside. So sometimes you're going to come with me and sometimes you're going to be outside. I'll make it fun. We'll structure, we'll, yeah. we'll whittle spoons, we'll yeah. do whatever, you yeah. know? And like throw rocks in the water. Yeah. And now he's like, I want to climb, you know, this Alpine route. You're going to take me on the Becky route the next year. Like, oh, I took him <laughs> oh, on South Early Winter Spire at oh, the, my in September. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, it was really cool. And like for him and. Oh, that's yeah, cool for everybody. Like, that's, that's awesome, man. That's such a spectacular route that you can get up on such a, in such a cool spot, mm -hmm. such a great position without really having to be a rock climber. Yeah. It's like you could pretty much take just about anybody up there, just go slow and, and, uh, talk to them. And, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I've taken so many, a bunch of people up there that with just awesome experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's all. And that was a reminder. Like that's, and that's that moment where like my son teaches me a lot and like, he taught me in that moment where it's not like, five ten like doing hitchhiker it's like a five ten or five eleven or something because that's hard and you know for me and like that's like something that i'd aspire to it's like nah dude it's really pretty out here and yeah. i really like hanging out with these yeah. people yeah it's nice yeah like, yeah the views are great and rock climbing in the weather has to be good yeah so the <laughs> that's what i love it's like you're up in the mountains and the, it's like yeah every time i go rock climbing it's just like beautiful up here it's like oh wait i only go rock climbing when it's beautiful <laughs> yeah. <up here." laughs> we don't live in ireland <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I've tried to talk many, many people into climbing in the pouring rain. We went and climbed one time. It was like raining and it was kind of stormy, but not just windy. Um, and nowhere was good and we didn't want to go indoors. And so I went up to uh, Julia's outcrop 
over on like Chuck and I, uh-huh. and it's just facing the, the ocean. You can, can kind of see the ocean. I think it's pretty, but it's rainy and it's like, <laughs> I got a roof. I'm like, oh, it should be fine. I know nothing. And it's sandstone. Yeah. And it's just like, just pouring through the <laughs> Dripping roof. through. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, oh, we're going to We're going to lap 10 feet today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you know. We used to climb. Um, so when it was raining in the wintertime, mm-hmm. I would get my... Um, um, you know, my HRAs and my Jumars and, and, and a whole bunch of chalks and go out on area and try to aid climb in the rain, you know, it's like, yeah, this probably isn't worth it. You know? But it's like, when you got the itch, you got to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but you learn, yeah, just wait for some dry spell because <laughs> it's not really worth it. Yeah. But it's, there's a lot of dry spells. So yeah, there is a lot of dry spells. It, it happens. That's the yeah. thing is that Washington's not as rainy. <laughs> if you're in Spokane <laughs> right. uh, and yeah. also running is actually really fun in the rain by the way yeah that's what I've yeah. been contending with is because now I'm getting into like the mountain travel yeah I'm getting into snow travel and glacial travel and it's like I yeah. want to rock climb all the time and I'm yeah. dragging myself into this yeah. other because I want to do a lot of the um, alpine yeah. and over here we have a lot of glaciers that are not just in my way but have ample opportunity for exploring yeah. and yeah well the glaciers are often a, a good path because it's mm-hmm. they accumulate where it's not steep so mm-hmm. you know climb big peaks a lot of times you're on the glacier as the route so oh that's right I'm really excited to learn all about like the different glacial formations and how to learn about them. Cause well, learn fast. Cause they're all disappearing. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> why I wanted to climb them. Yeah. I want to climb them as they melt. So yeah. I can say, look, I did this small, hard thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're disappearing fast, but aren't they, I don't know if you're familiar with the history at all, but aren't they volatile in this area specifically like independent of global warming? We watched a really cool movie and I'm not going to remember the name of it. Disappearing ice. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? No. So this guy sets up, and this was years ago, like a decade ago or something, sets up all these time-lapse cameras all over the world pointed at glaciers. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. You got to check this out. And um, so the, the, you know, he he shows the time-lapse movies, you know, as you speed it up, it's a movie of the ice just like getting sucked back up the hill. It doesn't just get sucked back up the hill. It's gone. So the, like, Two years later, you know, they go packing back out there and they have to get their cameras and hike them up the hill to the glacier that's now around the corner if it's there at all. And this isn't just in the in the Cascades. It's generally everywhere. Wow. So there's a few weird places where I I think there's a couple glaciers advancing, but it probably Mm -hmm. has to do with like localized weather. Mm -hmm. Um, But generally they are disappearing fast. I just saw a YouTube or TED talk or something on um Greenland ice Mm -hmm. and it's called deflation. So like the whole thing's covered with ice, so it doesn't recede anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. It just goes like the air coming out of a balloon. And you can see these on the, on that uh, disappearing ice movie. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, it's like foam that just kind of disappears. That is wild. And then it's gone. It's, it's actually scary. Well, I remember climbing uh, when I was at the university of Washington. So in the uh, early nineties, um, ice climbing on the Squally Glacier mm-hmm. on Mount Rainier. And we would park on the bridge. Um, must be in the Squally River, right? The Squally Glacier. And we just hop off the hop off the bridge, scramble down, walk up a little bit, and ice climb on the glacier. Mm-hmm. We just climb Mount Rainier 
uh, this summer and you drive across a bridge. I don't think you can even see the glacier. I mean, it's just gone. Wow. <laughs> Way the hell up there. That is wild. It's yeah. It's not like a, well, 4 million years ago. Great. The Neanderthals <laughs> had, a, it's like, no, it's, it's disappearing <laughs> like at a crazy. So, um, um, I can't remember the name. I'll write up on the pass. Highway 20. Colonial Creek. Oh, yeah. Campground. So you, there's, um, when you're uh, driving westbound, mm-hmm. right before you get to Colonial Creek, you can look up and you can see Colonial Peak. Yeah. And there's also Pyramid Peak. Point Bunyan Stump is right up there. So when I was a kid, there was this most scariest, amazing ice fall that would come off the rock as a glacier calved off wow. uh, in this basin right below colonial in between colonial and pyramid peak. And uh, it was just the scariest looking thing. And I, I remember as a little kid looking up at that and thinking like, no one should go up there because yeah. that's like, you're just going to die. Um, it was because it's just right above you on the wow. road. It's like straight yeah, up there. Yeah, and it's, it's just that whole, it's right in your face. Mountain system is yeah. Yeah, in your face. dudes. And so about three years ago, I went up there for the first time with a friend of mine and we climbed pyramid peak. Mm-hmm. And I'd read some um, stories about how to do it and path and everything that said, go across this basin where the glacier used to be. I'm like, so, so we hike up there. No kidding. There's no glacier there. There's a little pond there. It's uh-huh. like s- some little ice floating around in it. There's, there's no glacier there to calve off these huge ice falls off this rock face that like was one of the, like, Oh my God. In my, my, my child's, childhood eye one of the most like intense mountain scenes wow. you know, ever it's just not even there it's like you, there's some beautiful glacier scoured rock in the yeah. basin but there's no ice and so That's what's that 30 years or something you know it's like holy crap. it's just it's like yeah disappearing ice you gotta check it out wow hey, yeah i'm gonna watch disappearing ice that's gonna increase my interest because this glacier, the traveling on glaciers kind of came on the side because once I've learned about them receding, I, w- I want to know, like, I want to yeah. go explore them up yeah. here anyways. I want to learn yeah. more about them. Yeah. And I learned that rocks, I remember going through like a geology class in high school and it sucked, but it was I just wasn't interested in it, but yeah. then rock climbing, I'm like, well, yeah, not, if you how got, does all this get formed? <laughs> yeah, like, right. What kind of rock this? is this? <laughs> I really like basalt, but uh, uh, and granite, but not so much the uh, weird stuff on uh, Mount Erie. Actually, Mount Erie and Mazam are are pretty close. Um, yeah, weird rocks, really? Yeah, and they are. What kind of rock is on Erie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, the, what do they call it in? Uh, in Mazama, I think they call it like a rhino rock or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's this like mixture of weird uh, geologic events that like mix together a bunch of weird stuff and then bam out it comes. Um, so it's, it doesn't have a, um, like a basic type. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, a basic rock, like granite or, um, diorite or, uh, rhyolite or any of those. It's like this weird, <laughs> wow it's like a mixed breed mixed of up. exactly wow. yeah d- due to um you know um subduction uh heated up and regurgitated out like seafloor goo and rock and stuff and Whoa. so yeah it's pretty funky some of it is is granite like mm-hmm. and some of it's really just weird it's but- weird how maybe i'm getting this wrong but how different almost one face on that area absolutely yeah yeah. like like i said some of it's almost like granite and it's beautiful and um 
uh, some of it. Uh, I know of a whole wall that that's just it's not developed, <laughs> but I started. Yeah, <laughs> I started cleaning it, and it, it just crumbles off like sandstone almost. It's the weirdest stuff. It's like this is awesome. There's a whole wall here, and it's like 200 feet long and one pitch high and straight up. And it's like this is going to be great, and it's like out there for days, like like trying to uncover enough of it to see what it was like, and it's like. Wow. That was a waste of time. Yeah, like uncovering yeah. like the earth's painting. That's wild. That's totally yeah, like there's uh down on Sunset Slabs that we the the um so like Manny the Moody Mammoth and <laughs> Sid the Sloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of routes in the middle of that wall. Um, because they had these glacial striations on them. So when the glacier, when the ice comes on, it has like gravel on the bottom, right? And it just mm-hmm. like goes across the face of the rock Whoa. and grinds it. And you can see these really beautiful, like polished horizontal grooves. Oh, that's so, so cool. That's why we named after that Ice Age movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's rad. There's some beautiful uh, striations up at Squamish too, at the like parking lot to the Grand I've Wall. I've not been to Squamish yet and that'll, I can't wait yeah. to go. Yeah. That'll be cool. It's interesting though, how like something like this makes, you know, rocks fascinating. Right. Yeah. There's a whole bunch to them for sure. If you want, you yeah. don't have to, but it's there if you want to look into it. And definitely going to have to get some geologists on, right? Is that the study yeah. of, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that would be fun. And I've even gotten into rock hounding outside. Of it. Yeah. I, I came into rock hounding. I knew people hunted for rock or like mm-hmm. went for rocks and they tried sure. to understand like the landscape, but like, would I when I'd go to shows, it'd be usually buying and selling of you know yeah. third party rocks. Yeah, and, uh, and now though, my son will do that. We'll go in like the Taylor's fields, yeah. and we'll he likes to spelunk and um and like different caving systems yeah. too. So like wow. he'll use all of that and go in these holes and he'll look for yeah. different rocks. And now he wants to know more about them yeah. and it's just expanding. Then you're up at seven mile and you're climbing on the crystals in the rock. And it's like, and his interest expands and mine does too. And it's like, Absolutely. now I want to learn all these things that I neglected when yeah. I was young. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's infinite. You can learn forever. Yeah. You'll never learn at all. So, but yeah, it's fun to get tapped into something that all of a sudden catches your interest. Mm-hmm. And do you ever experience conflict um, in dividing your time between setting routes and climbing routes um, or getting better? So, as a climber? so finding routes is always top priority because mm-hmm. it's Mount Erie. You know, I've been on all the walls. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a redo, right? Except, except now trying to climb things that I've never been able to before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some success. It's really exciting. It's like, but I'm out there by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I finally make it up with no falls on top rope. So it's like, guys, guys, I just yeah. finally made it up. I've been working on this for weeks. Or like thumbs up or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, come on. And you don't know how much, yeah, yeah. how much work I put into this. Um, so that's super fun. That's it's fun to find like this obscure route that somebody really good put up and it's just been basically abandoned because mm-hmm. it's too hard or it's like had one bolt on it or whatever. It's 40 feet tall. And it's like, yeah, that's going to change. <laughs> um, but clean it all off again, set good anchors on it and get a top rope on that and just work and work and work it and finally get it. It's like, oh, that's so cool. That's cool. And then I move on to the next one. I totally can't climb it again, you know, because yeah. it's like, a, um, but yeah, so climbing, um, route development is a lot of climbing because after you clean it, because then it's a lot of climbing, trying to work out where the bolts go mm-hmm. and then try to, try to climb it clean. Um, so you really know where, you know, the good stances are for clipping and all that. Um, 
So there's a lot of climbing involved in development and, and then actually going setting the bolts is kind of like the frosting is like that it's all done it's like i climbed it free it goes free you can do it and um so, so you, cool. then you bolt it and so, like the whole time you're doing that you're like got your chalk ball out and you're like bolt goes here and then you climb it again it's like no no the bolt doesn't go there the bolt goes here <laughs> and you climb it again it's like no no neither of those are this the bolt goes here and it's like then you climb it again you, two days off it's like wow. you, then you climb it totally different it's like no 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 the bolt goes in it's like oh man come on um so yeah it's super fun to um just like suss that all out that and, sounds and, like and, so much um, fun yeah it, wow. well, it is just like like looking for treasure or something you find a bit here and a bit over there and it's like well, where's the whole box or whatever it's like um, I just recently did a, um, the first, um, like whole wall that I've ever done. It's like, I found this wall that just wasn't neglected, and, um, clean the whole thing off and there's five, five routes on it. Oh, what? So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. I think it's on Facebook. It's called Ace of Hearts wall. Ace of Hearts wall. Oh. And, um, so all the, all the routes have heart names in them. Oh, that's uh, cool. So it's kind of fun when you do the whole thing, but, um, they're not easy <laughs> and they're all not easy, but they're not super hard, but, um, it's really well bolted. And it's the first, mm -hmm. first uh, wall that I, or routes that I set with these half inch stainless. Um, so they're, it's like uh, set up, you know, it's like, that's perfect. Yeah. You hang it's great all you to want. go through my head against. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get to it from the top so you can top rope it. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to check those ones out. That'll be yeah. fun. See, and that's interesting because now you give me like a good, like a set of problems to try to solve. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And do you, do, do you have like, when you climb from my, so when I was up in the Alpine, I talked to someone who was one of the climbing rangers and they were talking, your name got brought up at one point and you helped bring them into climbing and they were younger. And then there's two other people that I've met that you've taught or brought into climbing and exposed them into climbing. So it seems like you spend some of your time mentoring people. So a lot of that happened when my son was in school. Uh -huh. So he would have friends and, and, um, you know, the climbing was like kind of cool. Like I said, so yeah. late high school and then college age is like, that's when people kind of get interested in, in, um, testing their limits or whatever, or their mm -hmm. strength or their weaknesses or finding out what they have who they are mentally yeah. and rock climbing does that really well, you know? So if, if one of them goes and does it, they go back to school and it's like, you guys got to try this. Oh right? yeah. So, uh, yeah. In fact, there was a exchange student from Germany that we took rock climbing first time. And, uh, he was scared, <laughs> but he did it, you know? And, and, and then uh, we even brought him to Mazama and he climbed over wow. there with us. Um, but he, you know, that, lifetime experience kind of thing, you know, that's uh, cool. First time climbing. Uh, so yeah, um, we brought a lot of people out, um, in that kind of high school age, um, lately, not so much just cause I, um, haven't had like that pool of young people yeah, exactly. so accessible. Um, I think Jim Thompson does a lot. He teaches at the high school, so mm -hmm. he'll bring uh, students out there um, because some, consistently, sometimes when you pursue something, right, you, you can get into this divide where like you have this, you're spending a lot of time teaching people, especially if you're doing it to more than, you know, like five people, right. Um, th that takes away from the, the amount of time that you set aside for climbing. Sure. That like, happened to me when I had that little rock climbing gym in Anacortes. Oh, really? Um, 
because people come in and they weren't really familiar with it. So it's like every time someone comes in, it's a new start over. It's like, mm-hmm. this is how you do it. This is what you do. So you're just like, put your foot on the red one and your hand on the blue one. You know, yeah. it's like, well, that's fun a couple of times, but, um, some people like that and some people. Yeah. But, but once, once a kind of a, a bunch were coming more consistently, mm-hmm. um, you improve really fast in the gym mm. when you go to the gym two or three times a week. Right. So like all of a sudden these kids are climbing super hard stuff. That was the most fun part of that whole oh, experience cool. was like these little kids came in and now they're like good rock climbers mm-hmm. in just like six months or whatever. You know, and there, we had no like competition club or teams or oh, anything. Wow, it was yeah. just, um, we did have a little one, one of the fellows there that was really big into like working with the kids and stuff. And <laughs> he would have like these little impromptu class things, I think. And, um, but really it was the kids that got good were the ones that just came there and, and worked, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. um, there were a bunch of girls that wow. got really good. I mean, really good. Uh, I mean, like you could see the muscles yeah. on them. Oh, after, wow. After, oh, it was you, really cool. Cause it's just a little bouldering gym. Yeah. Right? Um, so that, that was, Oh, you liked it. I see. That, that was the f- most, it just wasn't big enough. Yeah. You know, there, we didn't have enough people coming there, but yeah, if that, if that thing could keep going that that was a, um, kind of sad that I had to close up. But you seem like you really, really like that being that kind of person. Well, I like, I like being someone that shows people things that I'm passionate about that then they click with. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's super cool. It's like, what's better than that? That's <laughs> like my first thought. Whereas like, so as I, you know, get more and more into climbing and it's like, I can have this divide where it's like, I need a partner, right. Or I need partners who can climb and who, um, we can get as many routes done as possible. We could focus on, you know, uh, on learning and technique right. and then, but no, I find myself like, I haven't climbed before. Come on. Let's, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I'm going to show you, I want to show you Alpines. Like I'm going to go teach you some stuff in the Zamba and then we're going to go up there. And I tell myself, I'm like, listen, like you're showing people who are steps behind you and you're learning from people who are steps ahead of you. It's solidifying your skill. I'm like, I'm convincing myself. It's just like having kids. You learn so much when you teach people Mm -hmm. what you think, you know, (laughs) but that's half me. Like, while there is a lot of truth in that and I've experienced that, um, I'm convincing myself because I very much enjoy just taking people out. I've taken like lots of children out and their families and like, um, and yeah, just anyone. I'm like, if you say yes, I'll, I'll I'll take you. Well, it's, it's almost instant gratification. you, you've got somebody on a, on a top rope and they look up that, that that's impossible. And yeah. then, and then you just get up halfway. It's like, mm-hmm. I just did something that I didn't think was not that I couldn't do it, but that it was impossible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's such a beautiful experience. And to share that and they're too. all high five in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so cool. And then it's like, I'm experiencing similar things that I'm going through and I, and I'm able to learn how to deal with those mm-hmm. too. Cause mm-hmm. you said it's easier to manage someone else's problems sometimes too. Always. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. why people like to be counseled. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so I started a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but the, the, um, the teaching thing or bringing somebody out of doors, rock climbing, mm-hmm. you don't have to trudge for three days. You don't have to do something that's really physically hard. You don't have to have like special, uh, um, fitness levels to be able to do entry level rock climbing. You don't have to be super smart. There's like no barriers Mm -hmm. to it. Right. Um, one of the, 
like stick in your mind things from rock climbing. I was, um, I'd gone through the Skagit Alpine clubs course. And I think we were climbing in Pashastin mm-hmm. with some of the folks that were in that class. Um, and some of the teachers, uh, just as a fun, you know, get together thing. Have you ever climbed up Pachasson's Pinnacles? No, I it's have not. Horrible. Is it's, it really? it's sandstone that when you touch it, it just like all the sand comes off. <laughs> Is that by Leavenworth? Yeah. Oh gosh, I've been meaning to go out there. Yeah, you can skip it. <laughs> and it used to be super run out with like old quarter inch bolts. I don't, oh, I don't know if anyone's done anything. Quarter out there, inch bolts? It's horrible. <laughs> like it's smaller than three. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, the hand drilled little quarter inches. Um but so, so we were there climbing probably cause Leavenworth was a rain, little rainy. And so mm-hmm. it's just a little farther East. And so sometimes you get dry there and it's anyway. So there was a fellow there that must've been like, and I went through the class with him. I think he's one of the instructors. So he was fairly much older than me. And he was a big guy. He probably was like two thirty or something, just mm-hmm. a heavy, thick, tall, big person, big mm-hmm. human, but he had a lot of climb experience and, uh, but I was strong and, uh, and a pretty good rock climber, you know, as I compared myself to other people in that class. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we we're climbing in our mountaineering boots. We're not like doing real oh, like, high yeah. rock climbing. We were on Mount Erie, but we're like trying to make it up five sevens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but we go to Shaston Pinnacles and, and I don't think I'd ever rock climb with this guy. Um, and we got on some, I think we were top roped, but we were on some like fairly nearly vertical, but crappy sandy face with no holes, no cracks, mm-hmm. just an edge here and there. I just remember it looking like, you know, this isn't really a rock climbing <laughs> yeah. route, right? And so he goes first and the same thing. It's like all technique. And this guy is, is he's big. Wow. I mean, he's like a rope stretcher, right? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> on top rope. And uh, he just waltz right up it. I'm like, well, obviously it's way right. easier than it looks, right? So yeah. then I tie and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting off of this. Oh my God. It was just super, it was a very awakening kind of a, uh, experience, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, it's not about strength. It's not about um, uh, macho, whatever, whatever. Rock climbing is technique. Mm. It's like, if you want to be good. You work on your technique. You don't have to like do 10,000 pushups to be a good rock climber. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the guys at the gym, his brother was a 513 climber in Utah or whatever. Um, this guy, I'm not sure if it was true or not, but he would say that his brother couldn't do a pull-up. I'm not sure that's actually true, but he would tell everyone that. And the point being is that you don't have to be super fit to rock climb. Mm-hmm. So people would come into the gym, you know, like I said, everyone was, no one had an idea what rock climbing was that came in. And, and so we'd, you know, show them and they'd be intimidated because it looked like something you had to add a lot of strength for. And mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to climb for three hours in the gym, you're going to build up your forearms, but you can definitely get up and climb around on the walls without, you know, having any special physical Mm-hmm. attributes it's accessible so, yeah it's all it is accessible it's it's um and the same with outdoor even more outdoor because you know you can indoor you kind of start at like five seven eight nine but mm-hmm. outdoor you can kind of throw a top rope on anything and have somebody go up and get super excited and mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's where I'm having fun um, trying to develop an after school program for oh, cool. uh, emotional and behavioral delayed children I'm trying to figure out if I can do it in the context of rock climbing um, because 
it's a cheap way to be able to inaccessible way to expose them to a scenario in which they can like work on themselves, but completely subconsciously all in the pursuit of having fun and pushing themselves. And I see it like that. I see, I see things that happen within like certain within that environment that they're pushing those boundaries that I see are directly related to the boundaries that you'd find in climbing. And I think it would be a very hurdles. interesting the yeah. hurdles. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you can overcome those hurdles, then obviously you're going to grow and those people are going to be pretty excited when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's fun and I can't wait to, to work on that, but that sounds, that sounds like perfect. That's exactly what it's for. Yeah. And that's what it's, it's helped. Like I, I, for, for me personally, it's helped me with so many different things in my life, you know? Um, well, like I said, for me, it's like a cleanse. It's like a brain cleanse. It's like you get up there and it's like, whoa, this is what's important. Yeah. All that other stuff, that's not important. Exactly. <laughs> it's just so cool. You just get scrubbed clean and mm-hmm. get a fresh start. And then also the expectations that I hold myself to, at least in terms of like, um, you have to follow your procedures. Um, I can't skimp on my procedures. Um, it helps being very afraid, you know, often now, right. To keep that in check, not complacent as much. Um, but also having to protect against complacency. Um, all of this scenario forces me to hold myself to a higher standard in which everyday life does not, because I could squeak by. Well, yeah, like we were saying, it actually is life dependent. Mm -hmm. You check, you're not, your partner checks you're not mm-hmm. your partner checks is not you check is not mm-hmm. when everyone's happy then you go yeah. right so it's um i can't really think of anything else right off the bat where if you mess it up you're in big trouble yeah. and like your partner saves your life like many times every day it's like yeah. or, or every climbing outing every time you come off the rock if you're hanging on the rope thank your partner right so mm-hmm. um and you don't get that in finger painting or whatever. No. It's like, it, it's a, it's an experience that is unusual in that regard for sure. Yeah. You find a, um, similar experiences in the military with people yeah. who aren't dealing yeah. with like PTSD, but who are coming back and they had an experience that they were able to cope with emotionally, I suppose, for the most part. And it's like, I want to get right back in there. And then you have uh, a similar experience that uh, with Native Americans, there's a phenomenon. And when they would abduct people from Western culture, um, from the Raiders or whatever, that when they were brought back into Western culture, they would want to return. And also people would flee Western culture and go and join the, um, try and join like the native Americans or even become mountain men. Right. And it's like, what is that? And it's like, for what I've heard people speculate and also just reading books, it's that desire to, you know, go out where it's life dependent, have a real life experience. Yeah. (laughs) And I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But uh, in closing, is there anywhere that people can find out more about your work? Uh, well, so the, the routes or any, anything new that gets developed on area will, will probably get posted by Jim on the Facebook page, Mount Airy Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And then if anyone just wants to see like architecture and stuff, it's on my website, which is just my name, brooksmiddletonarchitect.com. All right. And I'll be sure to leave all those links to the, in the show notes, including the link to the guidebook for Mount Erie as well. If y'all want to check that out, it's got some good history in there too. So yep. good yeah. stories. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Sweet. Thanks, Brooke. Thank 
biscuits to show I'm not really alive. I only cry to bring you into my hole, and I will hold you tightly in the name of fucked up. Till you bite away the same thing that does. My ribs break every time I get a hug. A billion stars in the sky, and I only wanna taste one. If you're my Jupiter, I'm your junkie. I know you're pretty. I can see it in my ugly. Now I'll put my face down. You can stand on my back. If I drown, please know that I'm happy to see you get where you had to get. It's wrong, it's wrong. I still feel it's wrong. Justify, trust the sky, seek shelter when it's time to make the clouds cry. 